This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning to you. Uh, actually, it's not Good Friday. Uh, many might say it's really dark and dreary Friday uh, because of what the president said in the White House yesterday as he's talking uh, with other... Allegedly. Well... According to him. Go on. According to him, but it's interesting. You're There's in like a room, room full of other politicians. Yes, and they're... Can, go ahead. This was locker room talk. Exactly. Certainly I'm not proud of it. <laughs> well... Uh. So they're talking about DACA, which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's all of the people that grew up in America whose parents were illegal. So they were illegal, but now they're pretty much just Americans. They're 25 to 35 or, you know, that's kind of, they're adults essentially at this time. By the way, that was the apology that you're not going to get from the president. Which which was? We haven't heard it yet. I'll give you the president's response. It's out already. (laughs) But interesting, yesterday the White House didn't reject it. They didn't say that these words weren't said. We're not going to say the words, but basically a a very derogatory term about the countries, really Haiti and Africa. African countries, yes. Which also has, uh, they, you know, that have blacks. And he's basically saying, why do we want any of these people from these countries? Instead, we want people from from countries like Norway, which would be, I guess, the white people. Many are calling this the new low, right? The new – Chris Salisa is saying this is it. You've now seen – The bar has now been dropped. The new low. This is as low as the president can go. Then you add on to it every other thing that he's done, including – Many people, uh, you know, the um, white supremacists, all of the way— Many good people, that comment. Yeah, the yeah. many good people. Yeah, there's good people on both sides of this argument between right. supreme white supremacists. And- when he came down the escalator and accused there's all these Mexicans coming across the border that are criminals and accused uh, them of all sorts of different things. Yeah, allegedly so. made a comment that all Haitians have AIDS. On and on he goes. That was before Christmas about uh, a comment he made in June. Yeah. So and, uh, And on top of it all, uh, some are even saying it's not a big deal because his base are all in agreement. Right. Well, they're not. They're not. Who says the president hasn't gotten anything done this year? Yeah, he has. (laughs) He's turned everybody against his His most base, base, are totally for it. Right. But Mia Love, who comes from a very, very conservative state and very conservative district whose parents are from Haiti— She's not for it and wants the president to to come out with an apology. So, Terry, what did the president say? What's his response? Oh, his response. I'm like, I can't say what he said. We just talked about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Don't say that. This morning during a early morning tweet storm, President Trump appears to be denying, at least in part, the Washington Post story that claimed that he privately disparaged El Salvador, Haiti, and those in Africa. He wrote Friday, the language used by me at the DACA meeting was tough. But this was not the language I used. What was really tough was the outlandish proposal made by uh, – the outlandish proposal made a big setback for DACA. Initially on Thursday, the White House did not deny that Trump made the inflammatory remark. Uh, White House spokesman said certain Washington politicians chose to fight for foreign countries, but President Trump will always fight for the American people first. No, but he's not fighting for American people. Multiple people in the meeting are saying he said this. No, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Well, and the funny thing is you're in a room. I don't care. You got to know your audience, right? You're in a room with Democrats and Republicans. Yes. And a Democrat is going to take whatever you say and leak it. Mm-hmm. So and they, they say a lot of people in the room or many people in the room were using strong language. There was a lot of cursing going on. So what he said wasn't the big deal as much as what it infers, what it means. It shows his in- inherent bias, it seems like. It's I mean, it's, it's a real ugly place. So Mia Love said his comments were unkind and fly in the face of our nation's values. This behavior is unacceptable. From the leader of our nation, of course, she's the daughter of Haitian immigrants, oh. so this hits home literally for her as she's a representative in the House. Uh, Haiti's ambassador to the United States has summoned the U.S. officials to explain President Trump's reported comments condemning the country with the disparaging term. Trump reportedly made the remark to lawmakers during this meeting. Um, the Haitian government, uh, let's see, MSNBC reported late Thursday that Paul Adador, Haiti's ambassador, told the Haitian government he was taking formal steps to make the, the outrage over the comments known. Haitians fought along U.S. soldiers in the Revolutionary War, and we continue to be great contributors to American society. Uh, he has quoted, he also says he believes Trump's disparaging comments are uh, based on stereotypes. Either the president has been misinformed or he's miseducated. Yeah, or biased. Yeah. So wait, he is not uh, owning up to this? No, he says, I didn't say those words. Oh my goodness. You know what this makes me think of? What? This makes me think of the scene in Monty Python Uh when King Arthur is fighting the Black Knight. Let me just play a little clip here, okay? Okay. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that then? I've heard worse. You liar. Come on, you pansy. So clearly this guy's yeah. arm is off. It's yeah. right? just a flesh I, wound. I heard something. And yet uh, he completely denies that his arm is off. Right. Yeah. So Then he cuts the other arm off. Right. And then he denies that arm. So why is it with he, so many witnesses he denies the fact that it, it actually happened? Facts don't matter. Hmm. See, again, only a few... Hundred million people in this country think that facts matter and think that the truth is the truth. But the neat thing, the way that the the president thinks about this is he says this was not the language I used in that tweet this morning. He didn't say whatever, whatever. He said whatever, whatever. No, I didn't say that. What What I said was much worse than mine was hyphenated. Yeah. Yeah, I had three other words before those two words. Now, I found it very interesting watching the coverage of this and people trying to figure out. What can we say and what can we not say? Yeah. Right? So CNN and MSNBC banners and web headlines freely use the offending word. They just they just right? yeah. Different hosts made different decisions about whether and how to repeat the word Fox News was much more conservative and spent a lot less time covering the news of this event. Evening News uh, at CBS said it will not repeat Trump's racially charged comment. ABC said it cannot repeat it. PBS went with an abbreviated version. Uh, NBC, I was watching this with my father last night, uh, Lester Holt, he goes, we're going to use the word. And then it was on the screen in letter, you know, the script was up there. And then he said it and I went, wow, that just happened. That's mm. interesting. Everyone's, re- I mean, since the Super yeah. Bowl event of several, yeah. what, a decade ago now. Did that just happen? And, I, and you're like, wow, they just said that word. So um, uh, Don Lemon on CNN called the president uh, a racist, while Tucker Carlson on Fox said the pres- President Trump said something that almost every single person in America actually agrees with. 
Tucker Carlson said that? That's what he said last night at 8 Eastern. Hmm. Well, that's not true. He says it right there. Not, almost every person nope, in America. Almost every person does it. Okay. It's Eric, amazing. It's not. <laughs> Eric, Eric Erickson, a politically a political conservative blogger, radio host. He goes, we live in a world where we shouldn't directly quote the president of the United States in front of our kids. Oh. Right? Ooh, yeah. Washington Post writer tweeted, one bit of collateral damage from the president's choice of adjectives today. That word will now be all over the schoolyards of America tomorrow. Yeah. Because the kids, well, yeah. except for my, my kid has the day off, so. Well, well, it's okay. But yeah, but he's he's been using that kind of language. <laughs> right. That's just common around the house. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette tweeted, our publisher is requesting us to remove at real Donald Trump's vulgar language from the lead in our AP story about his vulgar language. This is important. You can do the story without using the language. You can. Anybody that wants to find out what he said, you can find it it's out. right there. Yeah. Sure. And some would say it's not that big of a deal, no. except every one of the, 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 these uh, news stations do have a responsibility for protecting their listeners as well. So the question is, can you quote the president when no. he does something like this verbatim? It's a quote. It's not you saying it. He said it. Yeah, no, still no. No. Ad, Representative Adam Schiff, he's a House uh, member of the House, he's a Democrat, I believe. He goes, this may be the only time when the country would benefit from a national security point of view if the president of the United States were watching cartoons in the morning instead of something else. If yeah. you just watch cartoons, maybe, because, I don't know, there's the, all kinds of issues this is going gonna, on. This and, will fuel more and more the idea that he's unfit and um, he doesn't have a filter. He doesn't know when to filter. You are in a room with your adversaries. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Don't give him fodder. What do you think he'll be known for when his presidency is over? I mean, you have quotes from other presidents. You've got JFK saying, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And I mean, you've got Trump saying things like, bing, bing, bing. Wrong. What? You're wrong. What's his What's his big catchphrase or slogan going to be? Boy. Hopefully it's not this. No. Hopefully... <laughs> Or is it you're fired? I mean, at some point, it will be amazing to see what this does to his ratings, to his numbers, his ratings is what he call it, to his polls, to his... Maybe nothing. Well, we'll see, yeah. Because people are like, well, yeah, it's him. It's what he does. Right. It's just another... But it, I mean, it, it is a pretty no. significant. Again, it's not to me. It's it's what it's not the words he used. It just shows this this crazy level of i don't know animus yeah and we've talked about this before but just the concept of shame yeah right every other politician on the planet you say something you express some public shame and you move on yeah this president denies it happened and just keeps moving or or doesn't even deny it just accepts it and keeps going and Everyone's confused, and you can't call the man to to, to shame. Essentially, mm-hmm. he's not going to accept it. So you, you can pretty much bet that they'll they'll throw three more things out today that will create a have. distraction, and then we hopefully would move off of this topic. But uh, you see his excuse about London. Oh no! Wow. So they were supposed to be this trip to London. Oh yeah, right as a yeah. president. No, that's Barack. now London's canceled it. Yeah. But now he's saying it's because of the uh, real estate choice of where they're building the uh, the new U.S. embassy there. He doesn't like it, so he's not going to go because he doesn't approve of the real estate choice and blames Obama. But of course, it was something done to President Bush, and who cares? But he he's trying to just toss something else out yeah. there to, to kind of derail and distract. And a few uh, days ago, he said he was friends with Kim Jong Un. 
He's, or they could be. They could. I mean, well, yeah. well, but first he said, didn't he say something like, "I mean, yeah, we're 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 close. That was we're friends or something." Yeah, that was yesterday also. But again, talked to the Wall Street Journal about. We're it. not friends with Kim Jong Un because we haven't talked to Kim Jong Un. Nobody the, has. As a policy, we don't right. talk to Kim Jong Un. But here's the deal. Then he said, I use strong language because that's just a technique I use. Mm-hmm. So when I call him all these names, it's just a technique. It's probably in that Art of the Deal book. But it doesn't mean I can't be his friend in five right. minutes. Hmm. So he really – I don't – I honestly, truly don't think he has like a moral standard that hmm. – like we don't say bad things to people because right. he does because it's Machiavellian. It's ju- – the ends justify the means. It's OK for me to – Berate somebody, put somebody down if I can get what I want. So maybe what he was trying to do was stir, I don't know, the, hmm. the I don't know. Or is this the just ugliness inside of some of the people in that room so that they would fight back on this issue? I don't know. Or but is it kind not, of the, 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 lo- the, the idea that there's times in life where you use more professional language? Versus more common language, but I don't know that he. Is there any I, don't, separation I don't know that there? he discerns professional from non. I mean, I think he discerns. Did Miller write it, or is he saying it? Yeah, professional would be anything anyone wrote for him to say. Mm. I think. I mean, I don't. Well, I think. I mean, this what, is how he is off camera, right? Well, yeah, and this that's is what I mean. And he's off camera. He just does it when he's on camera. That 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 uh, board meeting they showed where they were initially discussing these issues. Yeah, where it was on for fifty minutes. He was. You could see that he was. More reserved yeah. and kind of editing, yeah. and he was trying to make sure everyone at the table had a had a say, and you know, because he was performing. Yeah. So without cameras on, is he just there's so hmm, less that, of a filter? I don't know. And again, that's maybe the point. What we saw when it's like the Wizard of Oz when Toto moves the curtain and you can see the wizard <laughs> doing his work. What we saw, it seems like, with this is the curtain gets pulled back a bit, and when the curtain is pulled back, you realize. He's kind of crude. Mm. He's not. But didn't we know that, though? Well, well, we knew. I mean, Billy Bush. Yeah. Again, it's just it's a reveal. <laughs> but it, I guess it's, again, misogynistic and many are now calling it racist, right? So mm. once you have the racist label pinned on you as the president of the free world. But he won't accept it. He'll just keep moving. Oh, well, that, again, it, it, it doesn't matter. This what happened he multiple times. Not. Well, it, it does in a sense of how it curtails his behavior. Well, no, 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 no. His behavior will never be curtailed. That's what I'm saying. Is he, he won't? Can't, he any, doesn't have the discipline. I don't any think, other to politician would behavior. think. Wait, I said this before. This yeah, will be I brought up again, and he doesn't seem to care. No, I, or I, he can't. No, like, what about he the just comment? Moves too fast. What about the comment from Tucker Carlson about every single person in America actually agrees with this? Fooey. That's junk. It's f- test it. Well, test all your friends. I had a very limited everybody. test on this. Yeah. I don't want to defend what he said okay, or don't. what he has done. But however, <laughs> you brought up a point how um, about I don't remember what you said, but the profound. point is is <laughs> really good. The Life point changing. is to a certain extent we all act differently we in do. private than we do in person. You know, we say things to our families that we probably wouldn't. And that's that's the really sad thing is we say certain words and certain things and act a certain way toward yeah. our family when they frustrate us. Things that we would never say or do to other people. We act one way in the car. But mm. if we knew that it was our best friend or our next door neighbor that was cutting us off or doing something to upset us, we wouldn't flip them the bird or yeah. do something to show them that you really upset right. me. Right, right. 
We, everybody does it, right? Yeah. Here's the, here's the difference, I guess, is that he wants to build a wall. And now we really know why. He doesn't want to build a wall just to keep drug dealers out of this country. He may want to build a wall to keep a certain race or a certain ethnic group or a certain color out of the country. Hmm. Do you so feel a like policy that's... now? What we what we might be seeing is the actual paradigm behind the policy. We would see a policy about DACA, but we didn't know the paradigm behind it. We didn't know the principle behind it because there wasn't a principle. But there is maybe a mindset that is saying we don't want people from these blank blank countries to come in here. Why? I think his question was why do we want them in here? Right. We, don't we really want he, people more like from Norway yeah. or Asians he wants people, to bring us more? The way he's talking is people that come into the country, they don't need to have any sort of government support. They're just going to come in and start adding to the economy, bring in jobs. We want productive yeah. people. But oh. you're painting with this huge brush saying that yeah. all these other countries are bringing people in that are just welfare cases off the Anna, start. And that's not the case. Anna Navarro on CNN made a really amazing point that uh, at his country club in Miami – is filled with these Haitians, immigrants that are working for his company, mm-hmm. f- probably for nothing, to make his company run that he makes so much money on right. and brags so much about. That's why uh, you want to have people in this country because people will serve all levels of the country. And um, it's just – again, if we'll see. And nobody, you don't want to – throw out the racist term. People are. But you can only see the wizard so many times before you start to realize he's really not a wizard. He's he's kind of biased and angry, bigoted, misogynistic. I mean, we're seeing it over and over and over. And I, I would bet this is only we've been in this a year. Yes. He's been the president one Actually, now, yeah. year. Pretty yeah. So we've gotten here in a year. Now, again, he also has the press maybe more skewed against him. I mean, we're seeing that statistically. But he does, his polls aren't great. But this is a year. Hmm. Can you imagine three times this? We'll find out. <laughs> this is crazy. Ah, and it actually is a, a really interesting segue into our um, first guest today because th- this – There's a lot of people that don't trust government, right? Think about it. On a variety of issues, and and now people can blame Trump. A few years ago, they could blame Bush for getting us into wars we didn't need to be into. Before that, we could blame blame Clinton, of course, right? Because Clinton, are you kidding me? Well, look what he brought into our dialogue and the use, the words we needed to talk about with Clinton. Well, our next guest is going to be discussing the fact that maybe some of this lack of public trust in government can be traced all the way back to the JFK assassination and the fact that uh, conspiracy theories started to erupt that never had closure. It's an interesting discussion straight ahead right here on The Matt Townsend Show. With the release of the JFK files a few months back uh, came a surge of media coverage about the Kennedy assassination and its aftermath. But it's not like public interest has really ever slowed. 
On any day of the week, visit Daily Plaza in downtown Dallas, site of the assassination of President Kennedy, and you'll see a curious uh, group of tourists trying to figure out what really happened there. Here to talk to us about how, uh, you know, withering public trust in government could be traced all the way back to JFK assassination is Ryan Turner. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for being with us. Good morning, Matt. Greetings from Austin, Texas. How are you this morning? Great. Doing really well. In fact, um, it's just ironic you're on today, Ryan, because many would say the withering trust in government is because of President Trump today um, with all of the news and and uh, what he said. But you, you bring up a really, I think, fascinating point um, in your article on theconversation.com. Because some of this gets back to conspiracy kind of theories and the almost the inability because of the assassination and everything that went down that people couldn't have closure on on a topic or on on the death of the president. Is that is, is that what you mean when you when you say that it may have been the JFK assassination that started the withering of trust? Well, I, I, let me approach that from a, a couple of different angles. First of all, my my background is in law. I, I'm a I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm also a judge. I'm a judicial educator, and I'm also an adjunct faculty member at St. Edwards University in Austin. And I teach. Uh, I basically teach the law. We talk about courts, court processes, and one of the things that we know is that there's there's a lot of literature that in social science that talks about kind of like just the the benefit of process. You know, when people go through trials, the reason why we have trials is we want to know who did it. Are they guilty? Are they not guilty? We want to have some sense of closure. And what we definitely see in the case of the Kennedy assassination is because of the way events played out, there's no way to have that type of closure. Mm. So that's the that's the first part. The second thing that I talk about in the article, and, and it's one of those things that I've been studying this for a long time, and uh, I think it's one of those things that – he may have been staring me in the face the whole time, but I hadn't really realized it, is that we're, we're living in a time now in which we're talking about, you know, fake news and alternative media, and we have, a, a, you know, kind of like a constant buzz news cycle. And we definitely have a lot of conspiracy theories that are out there and kind of a conspiracy mentality. But one of the things that I hadn't realized is that even back in 1963, when Gallup started polling on this, that before any of the evidence had been known to the public, people essentially began to make up their mind without having seen the evidence, and that that kind of consensus or that, that popular opinion took seed very, very quickly and has continued despite any information or evidence that we can actually look at and, and consider independently. Oh, that's – it's true. Huh? It, and I, um, I mean there's psychological terms for this uh, that we'll, I know we'll be getting into. Um, but what it really might mean is if you make your opinion up uh, about something before you have any evidence, before you see any evidence, then it really doesn't matter, for example, how the trial goes. Uh, even in the OJ case, you could see similar views that it didn't matter how it went – it was going to go certain directions for certain people. Absolutely, and, and you know, I, you know, you and I both have backgrounds in behavioral and social science. Yeah. And one of the things that one of the things that I I'll tell you that in training trial advocates today, evidence is important for legal reasons, but ultimately, um, evidence and persuasion um, can be separated. We do know that there is a lot of very persuasive uh, literature out there that people tend to trust their gut. 
Yeah. And we do it all the time. We would hope that in the most important of affairs, particularly, I think, legal matters, that we would carefully consider evidence and that we would weigh evidence and we would think about burdens of proof. But, you know, in, in the age of Twitter, uh, in the age of Trump, even though I think it, it definitely predates Trump, and that's kind of the thesis of, of my article, is that people tend to try to make sense of what they can, and that does not always mean that it's going to be guided by facts or proof. Right. In fact, that's that's really important, and I think I think you're the perfect person to help us with this because you can come to a legal decision – that um, that isn't that doesn't work with public opinion, and that isn't even. Uh, it, I guess it, it can be it could be argued legally, but not the truth. Well, I mean, case in point, you mentioned the O.J. Simpson case. Yeah, uh, that is one that, if you think about it, uh, you know, I don't know if Gallup did a poll. It'd be interesting. Maybe someone could, could take a look at that issue. I don't know if Gallup asked people within the first week. Do you think O.J. did it? Did he do it alone? Did anyone else help him? But that is the, that is the question that Gallup asked by the weekend following the assassination of the president. And it would be interesting to see if there would be similar – if there was similar type response. Now, you and I know because we were alive and watched it play out. I have to tell you I've been teaching so long that when I talk to my students, like if I want to make a reference to, you know, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Yeah. They look at me like – are what? you rapping? I mean, yeah. they, they, want what are know, you? they want to know what I'm up to. But for all of us who watch this happen on television, yeah. we definitely were making up our opinion, definitely as we watched the trial and we were bombarded by the news. Um, but it's, it, it's definitely – it is absolutely correct that you can have a situation where popular opinion does not necessarily dovetail with – uh, a legal outcome, and you're, you probably named the most famous example. There's, I, mean, I know there have been plenty of polls that have been done since that people disagree that they think OJ did it. Right, but that right. wasn't the legal question. The legal question was: Was there evidence that proved his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt? In the case of Lee Harvey Oswald, the man never had a trial. That's right, and again, again, that I guess left a lot of people hanging, not being able to hear more data, even though we would probably still interpret that data based on our bias. Um, in fact, the funny thing, not the funny thing, the interesting thing about JFK is it it was a Russian conspiracy theory that we're, I mean, a lot of people are like, this whole Russia thing with Trump, it's just, it's just a bunch of hooey. But it, it, it's just another conspiracy theory that makes people not trust anybody. And we can all use that uh, by our biases to, to guide it any way we want to. I think we know more about this now. I, I think, you know, I, I, I appreciated the, the, the opportunity to have the conversation with the conversation and now to have the conversation with you. Yeah. But, you know, there's more discussion now. And that's one of the things that I tried to do. I mean, when I was first asked by St. Edwards University to write about the release of these Kennedy files, I was like, oh, come on. I mean, who wants to read another article about the Kennedy assassination? <laughs> and the only way I, only way I said I was going to do it um, and, and let me ask, tell you the reason why they asked me is I use the Kennedy assassination as a construct to teach uh, the rules of evidence uh, hmm. to my students and, and to teach criminal law. But, and the reason is it's a, it, it is the ultimate fact pattern that never wears out, that has all of the details that you and I couldn't make up if we were trying to write a fact pattern. And you know, I, we use these types of approaches to try to you know, educate students. Um, but, you know, it, it, particularly now, you, you wonder, you know, it, with uh, discussions of conspiracies, who can you trust? 
the thing I was trying to do is say, okay, what's the angle on this that maybe we haven't looked at? And, and the one angle that I had not looked at was this whole thing of trying to say, okay, well, can there, you know, I'm not saying that there's a, a correlation. I think there's a correlation. You know, correlation doesn't mean causation. Right. But, but it is interesting. We, we have the data. We do have evidence that shows that people locked in their opinion very quickly. I mean, within five days of the assassination, they locked in their opinion. And then we have questions about, okay, what do you believe? And then we also have a separate series of questions of, about you know, another survey that was done by Pew about their confidence in government. And it is very interesting that if you set the two studies side by side, if you, the release of the Warren Report, and then you take a look at this, basically you can see that there is a climb in public confidence from when they began the Pew uh, research with Eisenhower – up until um, after Kennedy's death, but when you look at the beginning of when it starts to drop, it begins to drop in 64, roughly about the time that the Warren Report came out, and it continues to plummet. In fact, it doesn't actually bounce at all until after uh, Carter uh, leaves office and Reagan becomes president. So you have that whole period of Vietnam. You have that entire period involving Watergate, and – you know, one of the things that someone said to me is, well, you know, it, it's easy not to have a lot of confidence in government when government disappoints you. Oh, it's it's true. And then, uh, uh, in fact, soon, I'm in a few minutes, we'll talk about what we can do to shift some of this. We saw another version of this, if you remember, the Bundys um, who who had the, uh, the so-called Patriot Movement up in Oregon where they occupied a national wildlife refuge. Um, m- many, if not most of them that were arrested have been now released. And uh, Bundy in, Ve- in, in the Nevada area had a standoff with police and was sure. arrested. And so I, what's interesting is then, then – so the government comes in, arrests everybody, makes a case. Uh, it's obviously it seems bad. There's occupations. There's standoffs with police. And then in trial, there's I guess there's just not enough evidence to convict, but somehow they're free. And does that not just reinforce the original paradigms that see the government, they'll arrest you, they'll incarcerate you, even when they don't have a case? You know, we definitely – I think we're, we're alive in very interesting times, and, and I think you see it on a number of fronts that if you have – kept up with the national discussion about criminal justice reform. Right. We have a lot of traditional norms that are kind of not – that, not that the norms are wrong and not that the rule of law is incorrect, but the proposition is being reconsidered. There are a lot of fundamental propositions that are being reconsidered, and I think a lot of them do have to do with uh, how much power should the government have. Um, but the one thing I would say is you know, uh, some cases, some criminal cases need to be tried, and if you think about it, it's almost like the, from the government's perspective, you can't win either way. If you don't take certain cases to trial, you're, you're viewed as not you know, manifesting the public's interest. And then again, as you pointed out, if you have a situation where a person's taken to trial and they're found not guilty, you're going to have some people who are just going to turn around and say, look, what a waste of time. That was yeah. just a government abuse of power. Some cases need to be taken to a jury. And, and that, that takes us back to this issue of what's so unique about the Kennedy assassination. When I teach my students – um, particularly in my criminal evidence and proof class at St. Edwards. One of the things that we do is we view the Kennedy assassination, and we look at three homicides, the, 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 the murder of John F. Kennedy, the murder of Officer J.D. Tippett, 
and the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. And those are three distinct homicides. And these are real hmm. cases, real crimes about real people. And one of the things that – one of the purposes of the semester is you know, I'm teaching them constructs. I'm teaching them a principled way to look at and to weigh things. But then I also expose them to the conspiracy theories. And I think it's a really important exercise that really all of us in America should, should, should do. I'm not saying we should all learn the rules of evidence, but I think we can all appreciate that when you, make, that when you have like a principled approach to, to considering things, not just like, you know, I think I, I love the fact that we're having a national discussion about, you know, certain types of bias, information bias. Yeah. You know, once I recognize my own information biases and I know that I'm more likely to believe things because of my own personal beliefs, you know, the point, Matt, that we get to, to a part, uh, get to a point in our country where 51 percent of the people know what an information bias is and they know their own information biases, I think things are going to change again. <laughs> yeah, no, I think but, you're right. But we're not there yet. No. We're definitely not there yet. People are very receptive to information that confirms what they want to believe. And if you just turn on the news at 6 o'clock and you go, you know, I, I make a joke about it. It's like the whole infotainment news industry that we have now. People will watch television based off what they want to see, not based off what is necessarily actually happening. And they prefer that you present information to them in a way that lines up nicely with their worldview. It's so true. And, and again, um, it, it, I guess that's what you're finding. When you compare the evidence of the JFK case with the conspiracies, truth doesn't matter. There's no, there, there probably isn't a deep alignment, right? They're, they're, are, they, are, they, are they opposing alignments? Are, they, are the conspiracies so fake but with fake data that they, they – um, uh, that they work, or is it just simply because we're not getting all of the real facts out? Well, it, it depends. I mean, it really depends. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if Hitler actually said it or not, but I, I know it's been attributed to him. You know, the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. Mm. But but there is something. I mean, we the, the the there's a whole science to communication and persuasion, and and one of the things that we do know is repetition matters. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you think about how many times you hear things, so, you know, um, you know, in retrospect, maybe we should have had the, the, you know, you know, today, if this, you know, if this had been, if President Kennedy had been assassinated in the year 2018, you know, if we, we were to rearrange time, which, by the way, you know, in the world of the Kennedy assassination, you've got fictional accounts of the assassination, you've got video games, you've got time oh, traveling. Right. I mean, that's, well, I'll set that aside for a second. But you know that if we were to have that happen now, it would be. Wall-to-wall television coverage, oh. wall-to-wall Twitter. I mean, it would be the, – the Twitterverse would explode. Social media would be on fire, and we would all see it. But and if the evidence had been laid out publicly um, like it was before the Warren Commission, it may have had an absolutely different effect. But you have to keep in mind, when the Warren Commission happened, uh, first of all, talk about a short turnaround time. I mean, it's almost, you know, literally a, within one year, this was a very rushed process, okay? Yeah. Which is the reason why the first book out to criticize it was called Rush to Judgment. But, but the reality is, by seeing that stuff, people would be, they may have had a very different impression, but because of the fact that they didn't, um, they didn't see that. That makes it very ripe. So let me answer your question. You have over a thousand books now 
that are that propose some type of conspiracy. They range from what I consider to be very considerate criticisms of the government's investigation and handling to at the far end of the other spectrum, uh, unsubstantiated conjecture that is baseless and irresponsible. <laughs> and and so the fact is the number of books out there that have uh, taken what I consider to be an evidentiary approach, uh, there, there really aren't a lot of them. And um, I will say, and I talk about it in the article, there's two of them that I think are very notable. Um, the first one is Case Closed by Gerald Posner, and then the other one uh, by Vincent Bugliosi is, is called Reclaiming History. And um, Posner's book came out first. It came out in 93, and it really does take these, the, the, you know, the, most of the conspiracies on uh, head on and then takes evidence approach and, and, and does a very good job. Reclaiming history, in my opinion, is like case closed on steroids. Um, <laughs> he has so many annotations. Um, the book is the book itself is two thousand pages long. Holy and he had cow. so much. His notes were so extensive. He had to put them on a CD-ROM. <laughs> and so it, it, it's what it's what happens when you let uh, lawyers uh, start writing books, where they take almost like the law review approach to thing, where everything has to have an annotation. Those two books, what I think is notable is that if you look at what happened after Case Closed and Reclaiming History, a lot of the steam, a lot of the commercial steam w- was let out of the, the conspiracy, um, um, you know, commercialization. Tent. yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you don't see the type of books come out, and you don't see them as commercially successful because it's, there really is no book that has come back that has said, oh, well, wait, hold up, Mr. Posner. Hold, wait up, Mr. Bugliosi. Let's go through this, and, and let's, let's counter what you said, because if you're using an evidence approach, you, you can't. That's oh, why. It's, it's so true, Ryan. Again, we're speaking with uh, Ryan Kellis-Turner, who has been an adjunct professor at St. Edwards University School of Behavior and Social Sciences in Texas. Uh, and for nearly 20 years, he's also used the Kennedy assassination to teach criminal uh, evidence and proof classes to his students, as well as a lawyer by trade and a substitute judge in the city of Austin. Ryan, as we wrap it up, um, what would you – I mean, I guess for the rest of us, we got to know our bias and, and know that we have this tendency, just a human tendency to believe and try to confirm whatever our beliefs are, and, and we only look for the data that would confirm it. A- any other advice you give to the rest of us? Because I, I could see us falling into the trap right now when it comes to President Trump and what he – you know, how, how, how divided we are as a country. Well, the one thing is, it, it, and it, you know, it, there, a certain amount of mindfulness, uh, a certain amount of self-reflection, I think that we have to have a certain level of awareness. I've been saying for quite some period of time that one of the things that we all have a responsibility to do, and I think it's a civic duty, but it's also a duty we have as parents to our children, is we have to raise, particularly now more than ever, we have to raise our children to become good consumers of information. And we have to understand not just our own biases, but we have to understand that beliefs do not necessarily – you know, what people believe, the word believe, if I tell you what I believe or what you believe, we have to understand and respect that a belief may or may not be substantiated based off some type of, of fact or proof or something that can be proven to absolutely be true. We have to have some respect for that. But I think that particularly now um, in this, in this uh, new age that we're living – that we're going to have to have more education for our children, um, and I and I think that 
uh, if we start with the, the younger generation, that is good. Uh, not that people our age and people older than you or, or you or I don't need similar education, but I think we definitely have to have that type of a conversation about what, you know, basically we all need to strive to become better consumers of information and to understand what drives our beliefs. Great advice. Great advice. Ryan Turner, thank you so much and uh, keep up the great work. Keep I, I love this convergence of uh, his skill set where we finally all of a sudden have a judge and a lawyer and an, a professor and a teacher uh, who gets a completely different view than maybe the rest if um, because we don't get to see it from so many different angles. The power of, of our understanding and our learning, it's so essential. And it is something I think we can instill in the hearts and minds of our children if, uh, if we are willing to do it ourselves as parents. We'll continue the discussion straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, from conspiracy theories to uh, Facebook, now Facebook uh, wants to change a few of its rules. It's blowing up. I mean... They're changing the algorithm. So the uh, mysterious program they've created. Yes. We'll call it mysterious because it's math and... And none of us understand it. I've seen the math scores from (laughs) our country. So mysterious algorithm um, that chooses what you see in your newsfeed. Yeah. Right, you don't see everything from everything you follow. You see highlights, basically. Right, and there's a program it chooses and it selects what you see, what you don't see, and it's why they've um, Mark Zuckerberg because of that, and you know the 2016 election and all the stuff involved there. That's why his New Year's resolution before it's been learn Chinese, uh, visit every every state in the union. Yeah, this year it's fix Facebook. Fix it. I'm just going to do my job. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to. I'm not going to wander the nation or learn foreign languages. <laughs> not run for president not, yet. Yeah, he's going to do his That'll, job. Yeah. So Facebook said late Thursday it's changing the news feed to prioritize posts from friends, family members, and groups over posts from publishers and brands. Yay! Yeah. But, I mean, do you get a lot of posts from publishers and brands? Sure, publishers would be say like NBC News or yeah, but I mean you can. That's just, my entire feed. You're talking about well, yeah, like because you use Facebook as your news yeah, feed, and I've but, I put my family in a different list, and I don't even really look at it. But yeah. it's over there, so that's my question. And for in your world, family is second. Eh, yeah, okay, but if, if you're trying to prioritize <laughs> that first. over, then what's my news feed going to be? Is going to be blank? It's going to be what your mom sends out. It's going to be cute. Pictures I don't follow of your my mom children. on purpose. I know you're going to have to start following her, Jeff. You were saying. Oh, no, I I was just – it's those posts that say, oh, all these friends like AMC movie theaters. and Yeah, uh, like I don't – I don't get any of that. Those are useless. Because I don't like those people. <laughs> but, but, but like Jeff likes movies, so you would probably want to go pick a bunch of those. If you could categorize them and say, I now want to be – I want to have someone promote something to me, sell something to me. Then you could have AMC sell you stuff. The company will elevate posts that ignite conversations and meaningful interactions between friends while demoting the many videos, news stories, and business posts posts that users consume passively Mm. without commenting and sharing. Mark Zuckerberg, in an interview with the New York Times, says it's important to me that when Max and August, his kids, um, grow up, that they feel like what their father built was good for this world. 
Yeah, well. I think it really hit them because initially they were kind of denying they, that Facebook had anything to do with any problems with the elections. We what? were a neutral party here. Yeah. And then after it started rolling, oh, okay, I guess we had more of a – And they had their Facebook and, consultants on their campaigns. So and, he's kind of got this sort of uh, – it feels like that kind of a guilt complex where he's trying to make up for mm-hmm. any any you know uh, failings before. So, yeah. so meaningful interactions is the new focus. He goes on, if what we're here to do is help people build relationships, then we need to adjust. Thus, you'll see further publisher posts when you refresh. CNN goes on and says, this is Facebook's war on what they're calling passive scrolling, responding to criticism that we're less happy online and using the service differently because we don't interact. We just scroll and scroll and scroll through all these stories, right? Right. Writer Mike Isaac from the New York Times says, this will mean a lot of things, but the first folks to feel this pain will almost certainly be publishers who rely on Facebook to di- for distribution. Right. Uh, the whole term uh, pivot to video, mm-hmm. about a year, two years ago, Facebook said they're prioritizing video over text. Right. So all these websites pivoted to video to the point where they fired their entire staffs of writers and focuses on people to create mm-hmm. video and more interactive you know, content that way to watch. Yeah, well, like a, in a huge organization like Coca-Cola would have tens of millions of Facebook fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but the funny thing is, is this, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Yeah. Uh, um, what this is going to allow Facebook, they're not just doing this so that we could have better conversations. What it's going to force is all of these publishers that can pretty much publish for free. Yes. Now have to pay Facebook money to publish to publish right. if if they want people to see their stuff. So yesterday there was some uh, internet websites who were reporting on this story had a uh, mushroom cloud yeah. with Zuckerberg's face in the middle of it to <laughs> express their feelings about what this news is doing to their business. So uh, it was kind They of want to blow him up? No, no, they're saying he did. He's he blowing just blew them him up. up. Whoa. Thanks, Facebook. Uh, well, let's continue the discussion. Quick little break here. More ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Boy, what a morning we've had uh, as President Trump, you know, in a meeting yesterday, said a few things you just you shouldn't say. You can't say. You don't say. And by the way, you probably ought not be thinking. But for many, it's it's revealing what's going on behind the curtain uh, in his head a little bit more. But also... You can't sit in a meeting with a bunch of um, your your enemies, your the people, your your adversaries that you're fighting against, talk in such a way and then expect everybody to supposedly remain silent um, when you've said something that no one can believe you've said. The president has said, I didn't say that or I didn't say it that way. I didn't. Those weren't the words I used. Uh, apparently, Dick Durbin has now come out, who was uh, a senator, a uh, Democratic senator that was in the room, said, oh, yeah, you did. No, you did. Um, so you, there's a great quote uh, that I love that is just – it's so appropriate for this moment. You cannot talk your way out of something that you behaved your way into, right? You're not going to talk your way out of it. 
Now, again, we also just learned from Ryan Turner that everybody has what's called confirmation bias. If you think President Trump is the bomb, then you're going to believe President Trump. If you think, you know, he's 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 racist and not good for this country, then you're going to believe whatever else you hear. Maybe more importantly, though, is what do you want this world to look like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? And what do we need to expect from our leaders? What do we need to do to start pushing back on some of our leaders so that we can we don't have to shield our children from listening to the news? Unbelievable. Anyway, continuing the journey, folks, doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here doing what we can to keep our language clean and straight. Because the president of the United States crossed can't. a major line, and he uh, he can't again. Let's he, uh, he's the president. How much worse is this than anything that he said before this? I think it's all on the same level. It's yeah. just uh, we have a certain sensitivity in this country yeah. to language. Well, and there's certain there's a point where you know one data point you know that's just an anomaly. But once you start having three, four, five, six, seven, eight data points of a bias or whatever we want to call this, um, it, it turns into something that's more than just an assumption. There's evidence here. Then it starts to taint policy. I mean, even so, just think about it. If he, if you didn't hear the news, where have you been? That President Trump, in a meeting yesterday about DACA um, with a, a bipartisan group of leaders. Um, threw out a derogatory term about why do we want some people from blank blank swearing, basically, but a very ugly way of saying people from very horrible conditions to come to the United States. And it tended to be people from African countries – is basically what he's pointing out. He was out. talking about Haitians, people from El Salvador, yeah, right? Cause El they Salvador, because they just, they just 200,000. They just reversed the protections on people from El Salvador and from African nations. The idea being that if people come here from those countries, they're coming in. They're not bringing any any skills. They're not adding to the yeah. economy. They're just coming in, and they're going to be a, a detriment on the welfare program. So why do way, we want to do that? Why don't we get people from Norway who come in yeah. and build massive companies? Because that's kind of the stereotypes well, he was using. Yeah. And he had just had the the ambassador from Norway in. So, yeah. boom. I mean, that's probably – honestly, it's probably honestly because that guy was here a day ago. He, a, he will bring up Norway. Right. And because we're talking Haitians and Africans today, we'll use – we'll throw those out there. The deeper issue is that it's it's bigoted. Very much so. So it's not, it's the, it's not the word so much as the feeling behind it and it's the stereotypes. Uh, and then you add to it the wall with all of those Mexicans we need to keep out because they're all – Horrible criminals. Horrible criminals that are doing bad things. So we need the wall. And then you think, well, does he think that way? Is that why he's trying to keep people? And then Barack Obama, not even he's not even a citizen. So then all of a sudden you think <laughs> that paradigm and is that what led this birtherism thing he did for years mm. was this belief that 
We don't need those kind of people in this country. What we need are more Norwegians. Hmm. We need more from the Scandinavian countries. Now, he would say, it's not the white. We want the people. We want their innovation. We want their right. technology. Sure. You know what, though? His, his <sighs> rhetoric has always been so outrageous that I don't think we've ever gotten a clear picture of, yeah. does he really believe this? Or did, would he just say anything yeah. to become president and to be at the forefront of everything? Right. I think, I, again, I believe forever that it's not – with him, it's not about a moral position as much as – What's you? It's, he has a utility approach. What's useful to me today? So if I have to call Kim Jong Un a name, Rocket Man, I'm going to do it. What's the worst thing that can happen with a crazy guy that's going to have access to nuclear weapons that could hit anywhere in the United States? What's the worst thing that could happen? But my button's bigger than your button. <sighs> anyway, it's driving people crazy. So if you missed any of this, um, then then come on. Then, then maybe explain to us how you did, and maybe we can adopt some of that into our life, and we can miss it next time. Because you actually might be the healthy ones. Uh, yeah. Because if you go to any of the major cable news, now you see The Division, uh, Tucker Carlson saying everybody thinks this way. Yep, we said that last night. Uh, not true. I would, th- I would change that quote to say everybody speaks this way. I, and what I mean by that is so many of these people that are criticizing President Trump – if they go home and, and speak to their families, if they're speaking to each other during a, a news break on the road, a lot of people are using this type of language on a daily yeah, and like, hourly yeah. basis. Yeah, sailor talk. Yes. And he, I guess, uh, like, that's why I don't have as much of a problem with the sailor talk because apparently others in the room were also swearing and using bad language. But mine is the context of the language. And why uh, our representative in uh, one of the representatives from Utah, one of the congresswomen, is uh, Mia Hello. Love, who has who her parents are from Haiti, and they came here and not without giving, being given a dime from the country and or the government, they came here and took an oath to protect the country. And he's now saying, why do we need people like Mia Love's parents? To come live here in the United States. Well, why we do is so we have a Mia Love. And whether you like her politics or not, she is uh, – I think she was the first – was she the first GOP congresswoman that's, uh, that was African or black? Mm-hmm. And she's, um, she's making a difference. And so that's why you need people like this. And by the way, Mr. President, they work at your hotels. They work at your uh, country clubs that you make so much money on and keep bringing up how rich you are, and you're being you're creating your wealth on the back of these people, and then you dare question it. Come on, it's maddening, and it's the highest office of our country. So I I think he needs to apologize. He he can try to talk his way out of this, but he has to apologize, and he could even say, you know, our base really likes this. It it's not right. It doesn't matter if they like it. It's not presidential. It's not accepting. It's not tolerant. It's not open. It's not American. It's not American. So you're not making America great again. You're actually making America divided again. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention the to? The African nation of Botswana would really like to know if they're included in this uh, derogatory comment because they they say they've added a lot to the yeah. You know, they've had a great relationship with America. We've been able to help out and stuff. I mean, we diplomatically, we're on good terms. So are we included in this comment? They're yeah. asking for further clarification. By the way, is this why Puerto Rico 
didn't get as much support from the president? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are they part there, of there that? Are con- they one of those countries? Do you remember there was a little concern whether he realized they were part of our country? Yeah. Yeah. They're American citizens down there? Um, they are in debt. Other, well, that's what he said. The other other news, the Fire and Fury book. Remember that news from the oh, beginning of the week? Oh, oh by the, the way, book? how interesting that we have a bigger Fire and Fury going yeah. on to get everyone's eye off of the old Fire and Fury. Right. That maybe this goes along with your theory that he's all about sleight of hand. You know? So that book, uh, 1.4 yeah. million hardcover copies have been ordered. The book's wow. already in its 11th printing in a week. And they're really on back order, so if you Boy. want one, You know what? Yeah. It's going to be a long haul. <laughs> House Speaker Paul Ryan had to spend 30 minutes on the phone Thursday explaining the difference between domestic and foreign surveillance to President Trump after he appeared to confuse the two on Twitter, or the Washington Post reports. Ryan intervened. His intervention came after Trump freaked out House Republican lawmakers with his public condemnation of uh, part of a surveillance program the White House had just urged Congress to preserve... Trump claimed that Section 702 of the FISA, uh, FISA law, uh, the reauthori- reauthorization of which the House was due to vote on Thursday, which they did yeah. and they passed, um, Trump said it so badly uh, surveil and abuse the Trump campaign. And then he went back to the Obama was, yeah. was surveilling he was using these, these FISA courts to get tapped. Two, hours, two hours later, he comes out, and that's why we need to preserve this wonderful... After he talked to Paul Ryan and John Kelly for 30 minutes to explain to him what this was. <laughs> um, other news, Walmart, the world's largest private employer, yeah. has announced that it will raise its starting wage for hourly workers in the U.S. to $11. Expanding maternity and parental leave benefits provide a one-time $1,000 cash bonus to some employees. Sam's, wow. Sam's Club, on the other hand, they also owned by Walmart. They're shutting down or converting 63 stores as a Walmart, uh, they confirmed Thursday. Of those locations, 50 will be going out of business for good. Roughly 10 of those locations are closing their doors as soon as today. Huh. A remainder will be shuttered over the next three to four weeks. Additionally, 10 to 12 of those Sam's Club stores are slated to uh, be closed temporarily and then reopened as uh, distribution centers to help ramp up the online fulfillment programs for the online purchases. Yeah. So they're taking these massive box stores, changing them into warehouses so they can compete with Amazon. And then they can like really quickly get a a product to you because they'll be in your area. They'll be right there in your neighborhood is the idea. Now, so they're, they're closing 63 stores, 175 people, roughly a store. That's 11,000 people. Wow. Are going be without a job because they're not there's no other place for them by the to way go the they're company, not called so. stores they're clubs they're clubs so and, if mm, you look at it that they're way not employees they're associates Eleven thousand people have lost a club but if you have a membership they'll refund it that is true i think that's what makes it a club is you have to have the membership yeah but they basically give them away for but now free. you're going to have people wandering the streets looking for new clubs okay and this is where the gangs start general motors says it's making its first mass production autonomous car without steering wheels or pedals company says it's filed a petition with the federal government seeking permission to put the vehicles on the road sometime next year, but no human backup drivers. GM's cruise automation unit has announced plans to carry passengers and self-driving cars that won't have a backup driver in 2019. Wow. The location of the service has not been revealed, so they're gonna, this will be isolated, but they want to put these on the roads. They're making the cars. No steering wheels. No pedals. We're not going to tell you where we will be putting these cars. It sounds threatening. Yeah. I, wouldn't you? It just seems like the first iteration, first through five, uh, need to have pedals and okay. steering wheels. No, you've got to get the you got to get rid of the safety net. 
No. You've got to kick that kid no. out of your house once they turn I mean, 18. We, the thing about brakes and steering wheels, they've been working for years. I mean, it works. We ought, we probably ought to have them in the car. Do you kick your 18-year-olds out once they're 18? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. They need to not rely on mom and dad anymore, yeah, right? I know. Oh, that is scary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Texas Instruments. Remember yeah. them? Oh, yeah. I the used speak to have and spell C and Say. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Speak and, I think it's Speak and Spell, wasn't it? Was, it? Was, were there like three of them? Yeah. Math and... Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Four plus four, nine. That right. is incorrect. There you go. Let's play again. Well, they do other things now. Yeah. They had to advance because that was pretty... It was, it was fun to play with for about five minutes and you realize you're bad at spelling. Yeah. And it kind of shamed you a little bit because, you know, you got it wrong. But Texas Instruments announced a chipset that can offer detailed control of a car's headlights, allowing auto part makers to control up to a million pixels in an LED or laser-equipped lamp on your car. Really? With additional sensor input, that means the system can turn off the part of the headlight that would project into the windshield of oncoming cars. You remember the annoying yeah. guy got oh, the yeah. high beams? And, I kind uh, of am that guy. The sometimes. new system can also project images and signs under the road ahead of you, like lane markings during a road closure or navigation directions, if you want to hook it up with your GPS system yeah. or in-car mapping assistant. Yeah. So just the idea that... I, the, the other I night, like that. I mean, they're, ta- they're looking out for us. I'm waiting to turn left, and there's a car in front of me waiting to turn right, and it's got... I don't even know if it had its high beams on. Maybe the headlights are just set yeah. high. Mm-hmm. But I... He drove away, and all I saw for the next five minutes were headlights that weren't there because they and just blinded you, you me. You heard a lot of noise thumps and I'm things. like bouncing off garbage cans. Yeah. Like, the road sure is bouncy today. <laughs> Finally, NBC says the Super Bowl, Yeah, the commercial inventory for the Super Bowl is almost sold out. Wow, good. So, Matt, if you want to get your My commercial, commercial on the air, you got to get in there. It says it has less than 10 spots left to sell. Really? Yeah. How much are they going for? The average ad has gone for more than $5 million for a 30-second spot. Uh, I don't is that a little outside your I don't know marketing budget? It. No, it's right there. What do you I'm think, right in that budget. What do you think BYU Broadcasting? Can we get a Matt Townsend commercial on Super Bowl? we get one commercial on there. It'd be huge. It'd be big. Because, I mean, the Twitter reaction alone would be, what was that? And then wow. everyone would want to find out. Yeah. No, totally. And then we'd have a special podcast. It'd be about five seconds going, ha, huh, Made you look. Yeah. Neener, uh, neener. NBC expects $1.4 billion in ad revenue from the Super Bowl and the Winter Olympics. The payoff is huge. Investment in sports programming, blah, blah, blah. What but did one... they have to pay to get oh. the, the deal? It's usually a group, like several years that they purchase yeah. at the same time. So huge but, money. But they paid probably billions to get the rights, and they're making billions. Right. So they'll break even. They actually make a little more. Yeah. Because this is the biggest event right. on TV. Next to, of course, the Golden Globes. Man. Wrong. <laughs> the Golden Globes. Well, I mean, it's something. It's definitely something. Something to look forward to. Right. And 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 you know what I like about it? It's not in the political realm. It, it exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually it, whatever network has it. The last few years, they've interviewed the president beforehand. And then that becomes news uh, for about five minutes until, like, the first commercial hits. And everyone's like, did you see what Doritos did? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah but you can't. I mean, because the Super Bowl is a kid's show, right? No, it's, I guess you could say family. It's got to be family friendly. We're watching people, like, try to inflict concussions on each other. So how family friendly is that? And that's actually, we call that family night. Oh, okay. Well, Everybody gets own. a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing games, everybody. 
Um, okay, good. So Texas Instruments, making sure the lights are okay. Yep. Uh, Super Bowl's fine. Right. GM's going to make some cars that might be a little scary at first, but they'll probably be fine, maybe. That seems like a mistake to me. Really? I don't want to judge, but... I, I like the idea of having uh, a steering wheel in the car, I even though it's autonomous. What if you just keep the steering wheel in the trunk? Mm, just to, just in case. Well, I mean, you probably want it more accessible than the trunk. Well, maybe you have a little pass-through. To the trunk. Yeah. You like, just reach back, fold the seat uh, down. Kids, let, dad's got to get in the trunk. Look out. <laughs> hit the floor. Hit the floor. Uh, or at least brake pedals. Something. Like driver's ed. Right, the driver's ed teacher. When I, when I, some of the cars they'll they'll build them. They'll have two steering wheels, so they can grab the steering wheel. But yeah. when I when I was in driver's ed, they just had pedals on the passenger side. Yep, and that would be easy. Just put pedals in there, and you can stop yeah. the car if needed. I love it. But I mean, I mean, the dream. Your dream is to hop in a box. Oh yeah, and it drives you to work. Oh. Do you know how great that would be? I mean, that'll happen in my lifetime. You think so? I probably won't be working by then. Right. Yeah. Although, You're yeah. going to retire next year? No. There, it's hmm. just, you know. Do you think it'll be in, say, public transportation first, like buses? Yeah, service? that's what I was thinking. Or like Uber cars. Yeah. So instead of endangering the life of one person, let's endanger the life of a whole bus full of people. Yeah. It I makes mean, more sense that think way. Think of the movies you could make from that. It'd be great. It'd be like speed. Yeah. And when that bus reached a certain speed... It would explode. Why do you I think keep it was called speed? I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. That'd be a better name than speed. That's actually from The Simpsons. Oh, really? Homer was explaining the movie to somebody, kept using the word speed, and he called it the bus that couldn't slow down. And you remember that? Of course. I think there's an obligation for me to watch The Simpsons. Uh-huh, yeah. No, I agree. Especially growing up. Did I did I did I tell you guys what I did last night? Uh, no. Uh, you came in and I, just I, immediately I, jumped into some I, other story. I went, yeah. <laughs> I went to the gym and uh, I'm I'm starting to swim. You're describing a gym. It sounds more like a recreational facility. It's, You're talking it's, about rock walls and a swimming pool. A gym is a like club. a room full of like weights and. I went into uh, I went into the locker room where they Ooh. offer you uh, robes. Ooh, wow! Really? So if I want a robe, was I could Jeeves wa- there? Yeah, or no, I don't know what his name was, but there was some guy holding a towel. And when <laughs> I hopefully he worked there. Yeah, yeah. I hope he, <laughs> he wasn't trying to snap you with it. No, I never took some seen random the guy. dude's property. He was just waiting to hand me a towel, but. Um, he anyway. I'm I'm starting to swim, but what I realized is it is, more floating and then flailing or ah, swimming's hard. Okay, that's what it sounds like. But I'm going to get. I've decided I'm going to get really good at it because I don't know. You don't sweat. Are you going to take lessons? No. Like there's. Probably I'm going to watch be- YouTube videos. There's probably a beginner course you could take with five year olds. That'd be nah. fine. No, nah, I, I, mean, I can swim. It's just laps. Do you have to try to swim around the water aerobics, ladies? No, you know what? At the time I went, there's not a lot going on. It's kind of mm. nice. It's quiet. But swimming, you can hear your breathing. You're just all by yourself until you can't breathe. Then you got to stand up and you're like, what the? <sighs> I about died. But it's it's a great workout. So I'll let you know how it goes. And I, you may already notice that I'm getting um, really big shoulders. You're wrong. Okay. Anyway. He's offending you too today he better stop it he better stop it okay 
we're going to uh, we're going to get into our first guest. We'll take a break, and our our first guest is going to be talking about the collapse of parenting. We we're just not cutting it. How we may actually be hurting our kids when we try to treat them like a grown up. Straight ahead on the Matt Townsend show. There is no doubt that children are growing up today in a very different world than the ones uh, their parents grew up in. Every day they face new challenges, whether at school, with their friends, online, or at home. Parents, for their part, have also changed the way they're raising their kids, and perhaps they're not, uh, all these changes are not for the better. Uh, After all, the past 30 years have seen rising levels of obesity, depression, and anxiety among our young people. Here to speak with us about it today is Dr. Leonard Sachs, whose uh, book, The Collapse of Parenting, articulates the problem that parents face and how they can solve them. Uh, Leonard's been on the show before. Leonard, thank you so much for being with us again. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. It's, uh, what do you think? I, I, your name of your book, The Collapse of Parenting, um, are, we, are we just not playing the role that our kids need us to play as a parent? Well, I don't blame parents. Uh, we find ourselves in a culture that has really undermined the ability of parents to do their job. You look at the most popular television shows in the United States 50 years ago, shows like Father Knows Best, My Three Sons, uh, the Andy Griffith Show, those shows consistently portrayed parents as reliable, knowledgeable, competent, productive, and kind. Uh, in writing my book, The Collapse of Parenting, I looked at the 150 most popular TV shows in the United States today. Not one of them consistently portrays a parent as knowledgeable, competent, productive. Oh, wow. On the contrary, uh, you've got shows like The Simpsons, uh, Homer Simpson is a bum. Uh, 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 modern Family, the straight dad, is always an idiot. Uh, his uh, kids are much wiser and more insightful than he is. Uh, even on the Disney Channel, uh, most of the programs uh, on the Disney Channel, like um, Liv and Maddie, the two girls are as different as they can be. The one thing they agree on is that their mother, supposedly a school psychologist, knows nothing about children. The same is true of Dog with a Blog, where the school psychologist's dad also knows nothing about what kids want or need. The talking hmm. dog is more insightful. This is now the consistent theme of American popular culture, that parents are clueless idiots and their kids are smarter. And it makes it harder for parents to do their job. I've been a, a medical doctor in the United States for 31 years, and I have witnessed the collapse of parenting firsthand. You know, 20 years ago... It was common for parents to say things like, do unto others. That's not a question, it's a command. But over the last 20 years, that command has softened, has morphed into a question, and the question is usually something like, well, how would you feel if someone did that to you? Mm. And the parent has no answer when their son responds, if someone did that to me, I'd kick him in the nuts and then I'd sit on his face. Oh, I mean, it gets ugly. It gets ugly. And I look at it, too. And uh, Len, I look at this and I think, is it um, 
so you have media pushing against it. You have kids that are also struggling. I mean, we have anxiety going up, it seems like, depression, all of these other disorders. Is that is that the repercussion? Is that just the well, waves that are coming from this parenting problem? is really uh, driving this. So uh, the research shows us that if there's strong parent-child bonds, that's a great protection against anxiety and depression. So it follows from this research that you should do everything you can to strengthen the parent-child bond. And yet, when a child has a phone in their hand, a smartphone, uh, and they're on social media, smart, uh, uh, social media prioritizes same-age peer relations. Kids on Instagram and Snapchat are interacting with other kids on Instagram and Snapchat. And if you're spending a lot of time on Instagram, it's easy to believe that whether or not you have a thousand followers on Instagram is really important yeah. uh, and more important than the parent-child relation. So in my book, I provide some evidence-based guidelines that parents need to limit, govern, and guide uh, what kids are doing with social media, that you need to prioritize the family. Uh, I find so many parents who are picking up their, their kids from school and driving them to a play date. Uh, I tell the parent, cancel the play date. And make a family date instead. The family should take priority over same-age peer relations. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is, um, do, we, do we need more classes for parents to parent? I mean, I guess we used to see how our parents would parent us, and then we would hand that down. Otherwise, where else do parents learn to parent? Well, that's an excellent point, because some of the challenges we're facing today have no analogy to the experience of 20 years ago. For example... Should you allow your teenager to have their smartphone in their bedroom? Well, no you can't reflect yeah. on your own experience growing up because smartphones didn't nope. exist 20 years ago. Uh, the answer is no. You should not allow your teenager to have your smart, their smartphone in their bedroom. That's not just my opinion. Those are the official guidelines of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, but a lot of parents just don't know. Uh, and again, the point of my book is to share this evidence, share these guidelines, uh, so that parents can base their decisions in good research because what happens is a lot of parents that look at other parents well all the other parents let their kids have their smartphone in their bedroom so at 2 a.m. in the morning your daughter's getting a text yeah. OMG Justin and Emily just broke up this is really big news we often talk about it <laughs> and she's up for an hour in the middle of the night exchanging yeah. text messages uh, look this has to be the parents call it is not reasonable to put the burden of this decision on your 14 year old daughter What's she supposed to say tomorrow morning in school when her friend says, uh, hey, I texted you last night at midnight. How come you didn't answer? Is your daughter supposed to say, well, researchers have found that sleep deprivation in adolescence is a major risk factor for depression. Come on, that's ridiculous. You have to allow her to say, hey, my evil parents take my phone from me every night at 9 o'clock and put it in the charger in the parents' bedroom. I'm not allowed to have it back to the next morning. Yeah. You have to be the evil parent. At, 10 o'clock, at 9 o'clock at night, the very latest, you take the phone, switch it off, put it in the charger, which stays in the parent's bedroom. She can have it back tomorrow morning. Uh, this has to be the parent's job. You're facing new challenges. You know, 20 years ago, there used to be a public service announcement would come on at 10 o'clock saying, it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your kids are? Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of us grew up in that era. And 20 years ago, the dangers were all out there. The drugs and the alcohol and the gangs were all out there. So if it's 10 o'clock and your daughter's at home alone in her bedroom, you think you're doing the right thing. 
but you don't realize that she has a smartphone. She could be uploading pornography. Yeah. He could be downloading pornography. She could be engaged in cyberbullying. He could be a victim of cyberbullying. So the challenges today are different. And what I'm trying to do in the book is to alert the parents from my perspective as a family doctor to what some of these new challenges are and what the evidence tells us is best practice for parents today in 2018 as opposed to 1998. Mm. It really is. I think it's incredible insight. Is it uh, – and, and do you then see and – and does the research bear out that all of this – these changes are actually impacting more uh, use of medicating of our kids? We're using more drugs to deal with their mental health issues. Is yeah. there a correlation? Uh, to be honest, the uh, the original title of the book was The Collapse of American Parenting, mm. and the subtitle was Why Most Kids Would Not Be Better Off Raised Outside the United States. Oh, wow, yeah. Because in one chapter of the book, I show that American kids are now 10 to 20 times more likely to be on medication compared to kids in Scotland, Switzerland, uh, New Zealand. I've spoken on these topics in each of those countries, and I have a lot of data from those countries. Uh, so one of the questions I asked there is, how come? Why are American kids so much more likely to be uh, medicated for psychiatric uh, disorders? Uh, and the answer is, the, the first answer is that psychiatric disorders do indeed appear to be more common in this country, number one. Number two, in this country, we use medication as a first resort, whereas in most other countries, medication is a last resort. Uh, so... There are a lot of things going on specifically in the United States that are very troubling. You know, with regard to this uh, cell phone in the bedroom, uh, in Scotland, uh, in Switzerland, parents would never dream of allowing their kids to have their mobile device in the bedroom. Uh, British kids are just as likely to have mobile phones as American kids are. But uh, British kids are not taking their phones to bed with them because the parents don't allow it. Hmm. But in this country, when I advise parents not to let their kids have their phone in the bedroom, it's common for a parent to say to me, oh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't possibly do that. She'd, she'd, have, a, she'd have a fit. Hmm. Uh, American kids, uh, excuse me, American parents often are afraid of their own children. Yeah. And then we have kind of the fear of of them not liking us, not wanting to be with us. Then we also have this weird idea that we want to give them more, and it seems like that means more athletics, more music, more lessons, more play dates, and so we start overscheduling our kids. How how does the overscheduling impact them? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I've been talking to kids across the United States for 17 years, and uh, one of the questions I'll often ask kids when I'm visiting a school, I've visited more than 400 schools now, is uh, what's your favorite thing to do in, in your free time? And, you know, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, you get this wonderful variety of answers, but increasingly in the last five years, the most common answer you get from American teens, what's your favorite thing to do in your free time? Sleep. Oh, wow. Which is really sad. Yeah. Uh, but these kids are overscheduled. They're they're doing sports. They're doing activities. They're doing their homework. They're on social media. They're getting to bed past midnight. They're not getting enough sleep. And so I tell parents, look, you've got to help your kid to cut back. It's not about the performance. That doesn't predict good outcomes long term. Uh, how the marks that kids get in school are not the most important thing. The most important thing is the, is virtue and character. That's not a sermon. It's a robust empirical finding. When researchers look at longitudinal 
cohort studies, meaning studies where you follow the same group of kids over 20, 30 years, from childhood through adolescence and into adulthood, what predicts good outcomes 20 years down the road when this kid is, is 30-some years old? It's not the marks they earned in school. It's not the activities they did. It's not how popular they were. It's the quality of their character. Are they conscientious? Are they honest? Are they self-controlled? So this is not a sermon. It's a robust empirical finding. Your first job as a parent is to teach virtue and character to your child. And you don't do that by driving them to play dates (laughs) or chauffeuring them from one activity to another. You do that by having quality time, parent and child, together. you got to fight for supper, fight for time at home. The proportion of American kids, especially teenagers, having supper at home with a parent is dropping very rapidly because they're doing all these activities. Cancel the activity. Cancel the play date. Make time for supper at home with your children. No devices at the dinner table. No devices in the car. I find so many parents driving their kids around and their kid has earbuds yeah. or headphones and is listening to Miley Cyrus or Justin <laughs> Bieber. No earbuds, no headsets in the car. Time in the car is precious. It's private time. You should be listening to her and she should be listening to you, not to Miley Cyrus or Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah, you don't want the you don't want the you don't want the uh, the Bieber's uh, their dad and mom to be Miley and Justin. That's, that's right. You want to influence them. You need them. to be the parent. That's great advice. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Leonard Sachs, who um, wrote uh, many books. The the re- most recent book, The Collapse of Parenting, How We Hurt Our Kids When We Treat Them Like Grownups. Uh, and he's teaching us a lot about uh, bringing back some virtue and character. I mean, heaven forbid we get back to the old basics, Leonard, of virtue and, and character. Another important one you talk about is humility. Uh, what, do we, what do you mean by teaching humility? How do you teach it? Yeah. That's uh, an excellent point. When I speak to uh, kids, I will often quote Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where the prophet says, what's, what's important? Uh, do you have to dot all the I's and cross all the T's? And he says, no, here's what's important. You've got to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Huh. And then uh, I'll say to kids, what does that mean, to walk humbly? And one boy raises his hand, and he gets up, and he walks bent over like an old man. He said it means walking like this. I said, all right, well, now that's a good thought. Uh, but let's talk about this some more. Uh, wh- what is humility? Anybody, raise your hand. And I call on this boy, and he says, humility means trying to convince yourself you're dumb when you know you're smart. <laughs> I said, actually, that's not humility. That's psychosis, okay? That's a willful <laughs> detachment from reality. I said, humility means being as interested in other people as you are in yourself. And the kids are giving me this blank look. They've received no instruction. They're immersed in American culture, which is all about walking tall and standing proud. But we now have all this evidence that being proud uh, predicts disappointment and resentment uh, years down the road, Uh, whereas humility uh, predicts happiness and contentment uh, down the road. So how do you teach it? Well, it starts with the basics. Uh, chores. Insist that your kids do chores. A lot of parents are like, well, my kid's taking such a heavy load. Uh, I don't want uh, her to be bothered making her bed and, and doing chores. Uh, 
or are mowing the lawn, so we hire a lawn service. To oh, do yeah. A big mistake, big mistake, because the unintended message you're sending is you are too important to be yeah, You are above that. Menial chores. And that's a really harmful message. Uh, insist that your kids do chores, do chores with them, uh, show them the joy of doing a job well done. Uh, that's part of it. And I do, as, I, as you said, devote a chapter to that because a lot of parents now, uh, they're so confused. One mother said to me, I don't want to teach my daughter to be humble. She said, when that big job comes along, I want my daughter to have high self-esteem and go for it. I don't yeah. want to teach her to be humble. And I said to that mom, with all due respect, you are confused. You're confusing being humble with being timid. Those are quite different. They're almost opposites. And the virtue you're looking for in your child is not self-esteem. Self-esteem is not a virtue. The virtue you're looking for in your child is called courage. Courage. Mm. Courage means that you know your shortcomings and you find the courage to move forward anyhow. Bloated self-esteem doesn't lead to any good outcomes. That is that's profound. And uh, it, it again, it just seems like um, we, we are moving away from – I mean it, that used to be a mainstream teaching when in the agrarian world, in the agrarian culture and society where we had to get out and reap what we sow, where we had to interact – um, because there wasn't we, – we were joking about it the other day. You know, once the lights went – you know, the sun went down, you could only afford so much candle time. So everyone got to bed and got a good night's sleep and then got up and started working again. Um, what you're saying, though, is we have to be intentional about our parenting and actually, I guess, garner the skills, gain the skills, and, and don't just let the kids lead the show. Well, I think that's right, because American culture has changed. You know, 50 years ago, if the parents uh, didn't teach being responsible, uh, being kind, being productive, it might not have been a catastrophe, because the kid was immersed in a culture, a culture of the Andy Griffith show, mm. which was the most popular show on television when it aired. Uh, and the show was teaching kids to be kind, to be uh, uh, courteous, to be respectful. But now your child is immersed in the culture of Akon, Eminem, 50 Cent, Justin Timberlake, a culture that teaches kids that it's cool to be disrespectful. Uh, get what you can while the getting's good. If it feels good, do it, whatever floats your boat. And the culture is a toxic culture. So you've got a job today that's very different from what your parents had. Boy, um, what do I do to not... Uh, be overwhelmed by this, or uh, let's say, because I have uh, I have six kids now from twenty four down to twelve, um, but but I can see a lot. I can see much of what you're saying. Is it too late? Is there an, is there a point in time when it's too late uh, that I just throw up my arms and say, okay, I can't do this? Well, my book is written for you. My book is written for that parent who is concerned, who sees things going on in the culture. Uh, that are troubling and is wondering, what do I, what do, I do about this? I can't, I can't move to Scotland. What am I going to do? Uh, and my book is written for you. It's based on my experience seeing some families that are having good outcomes and other families that are not. And what can you do that's very practical, that's very simple, that doesn't cost anything uh, to improve the odds for your child? Yeah. 
Well, Leonard, we appreciate you. This is beautiful work. Again, the book is The Collapse of Parenting, How We Hurt Our Kids When We Treat Them Like Grownups by Dr. Leonard Sachs, a New York Times bestselling author, has four uh, wonderful books. You're going to want to check them out. One for the girls, one for the guys that are the boys and um, really is good. I think somebody out there fighting for families on the front line and you really can't know enough. You can't know enough. Straight ahead, little coach's corner, my take on improving our family lives. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Welcome back, friends. Uh, parenting. Oh, it's so hard, and I love my kids to death, but I don't know that I've ever been tested more than by my children because sometimes you look at your kids and you're like, man, they're a lot like me. And then you see their insecurities and you're like, oh, that's a lot like me. So how do we help them? And I think uh, we Leonard just made a wonderful point for all of us that um, it really isn't about self-esteem. We've, we've had this huge self-esteem movement that supposedly was going to help our children to feel better about themselves. But one of the reasons why maybe they don't feel so good about themselves is because they don't ever – they don't know who they are. They don't know what the standard is. They don't know what the line is because as parents, we don't take a position where we show that there's a line. They don't know what we're suppo- what they're supposed to do or not supposed to do because we may not tell them or we tell them in a way that we don't share behind what we're telling them the principles that are really at play. They don't know how to guide themselves because we're the ones always telling them what to do, scheduling what they do, making what they do happen. Uh, I, I had the wildest – and I brought it up earlier in the week – we're sitting in church and I'm watching, you know, you you watch the family in front of you a lot of times because they have kids and they're playing around. And I, I see this mom, um, a wonderful, beautiful family, and the mom brought for the treats for the children grapes, uh, cherry tomatoes, and cucumber slices. Now, my kids would get fruit snacks with like supposed fruit in them <laughs> um, and – Cheerios, maybe at some point, or I mean, my kids have pretty much brought everything chips and cookies and sneak it in their pocket. But I sat and watched a one and a half year old kid just pounding these wonderful cherry tomatoes. And I thought, that the kid brought a salad. How great is that? Then one of the cucumbers rolled away from the, from the child, actually rolled over towards us. And my wife picked up the cucumber and set it on the chair. The boy saw the cucumber and, um, started pointing to it. And then you would think like what we would normally do as a parent is we would go, we would reach back, grab the cucumber and then give it to the child. No, this uh, mother moved the chairs and allowed the one and a half year old child on his own to go get the the cucumber. And uh, he also ate a cherry tomato that squirted everywhere. And you'd think the mother would just clean it up or the father would clean it up and all would be well. But no, 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 not these parents. The dad reaches over, grabs a wipey, and hands the wipey to the one-and-a-half-year-old who cleaned up his own mess. And I started thinking, they're obviously reading books because they're parenting in a way that's allowing a one-and-a-half-year-old child to have some responsibility for what that one-and-a-half-year-old child is doing in life and know that there's a cause and effect and know that if we play with toys, we have to clean up toys and know these things. And so 
It's learning. I really, truly believe it's learning. And I also believe that Leonard makes a wonderful point when he says it used to be that our culture was a safety net to protect our kids and our families um, because I was – my parents had to work. My parents divorced, so my mom had to go to work every day. And uh, because of that, we were left home. We were latchkey kids, but I'd still watch the Andy Griffith show. And I'd watch my three sons, and without even knowing it, I'm getting this culture of family and um, and these virtues and character-based principles. I was picking them up because the culture provided the safety net. Well, we may be at a day and age where the culture's not providing it. In fact, even here at BYU Broadcasting, one of the things we're trying to do is to get more culture-based, virtue-based content and information out to people so as parents, you can make decisions with your kids to guide you, to help literally walk beside you to do this. And um, it's not necessarily in the culture. So it means we have a bigger responsibility as parents that we need to step up. We need to make sure that we are the ones that are, uh, that, that are teaching this and, and guiding our children and understanding that we are informed. So you're doing a great job. It's a difficult situation, but do not be deceived in thinking that you can do this the way you were raised. You can't. You can't. Cell phones didn't exist like they do now. And the access on those old brick phones wasn't access to all the pornography in the world, Right. And it's affordable now. Do you remember the brick phone? You had to take out a loan to make a call. Not anymore. Now your kids can be sitting in their room and literally access all the good in the world and all the bad. And so somebody needs to step in, and we will be your guide as we go through that year after year. We will be here for you to help you make those decisions, parents, because that's really why we do what we do. We'll continue the journey. More straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hey, it's time for a little empty news as we're wrapping up this hour, and then we're going to get to screen cleaning, find out what's coming up on Jeff's show as we hand over the reins. Jeffrey, what uh, news do we need to follow up on? So this one actually seems like it would be better on screen cleaning, but we've got a packed show, yeah. so we you know, we put it on the shows Let's where there's not now, a then. whole lot going on. Um, <laughs> so there's this guy, Atif Hussein. He's turning 21. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, when you turn 21, you go out and you do a bunch of really reckless things yeah. like, oh, I can finally drink, drink and I party. can do all this stuff. Blah. No. On or around Christmas Day, he decides he's going to celebrate by buying a ticket and going to the movies. Who's going to go see Pitch Perfect 3? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Problem is, oh, well, he got some snacks too. Yeah. The problem is uh, the debit card with which he purchased the tickets. Mm-hmm. Was not his. Oh, come on. It was a co-worker's from his job at McDonald's. And uh, so the co-worker, Rachel Goldsberry, was notified via text message of these charges. So she called the police. The police showed up at the movie theater. They were camped outside of Pitch Perfect 3 to make the arrest when the movie was over. You know, you don't want to make a big scene yeah, during. Right. And plus, you don't want to ruin no, Pitch Perfect and he had 3. popcorn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let him get his last meal, so to speak. Uh, the problem was he wasn't there when the movie got out. What? 
was not Where there. Where did he go? He decided halfway or at some point during Pitch Perfect 3, he didn't care for that movie. Ah. So he theater hopped, went over to Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, <laughs> which you saw, right? Yeah. We are going to see that tonight, it's actually. Great. It's great. I'm flick. excited. I'm really don't, excited. Don't sit on the front row. Okay. Just letting you know. Can I borrow your uh, debit card? No yeah. reason. No, but, just, but you know what? I, I know where Terry's is. We'll just grab that. <laughs> we'll grab that for you. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I personally, this story would have been awesome if he had actually gone to The Greatest Showman, which is The Greatest oh, Show. Oh, so you Man. like that better than Jumanji? Yeah. Okay. For my taste, yeah. How about, uh, we don't have to read this whole story because the headline says it enough. Uh, a suspect wearing a Trust Me t-shirt steals a car. <laughs> Can you? That's a great picture. Maybe the T-shirt was there for, more for his accomplice. Like, yeah. trust me, this is all going to work Dude, out. We'll get me. away with it. I do this all the time. Yeah. Mm. So it's all interesting right. that you had that interview uh, just now because up next on screen cleaning, we're actually. Oh no no! Whoops! I'm giving. I'm spoiling an don't, interview that's not going to come up until a couple of weeks. I don't spoil we're it. We're actually. <laughs> don't ruin it. So on screen cleaning. We're going to be doing our Silver Lining Cinema, uh-huh. where we give positive reviews for films that people are not that thrilled about. Okay, so positive reviews for movies that probably don't deserve a positive review, but need one. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times when we go to the movies, we mention Pitch Perfect 3, we mention, mention Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. We're going to see a lot of trailers, like 20 minutes worth of trailers, right? That's good, yeah. And... Not only is it way too many trailers, but the trailers themselves show way too much to the point where we often think, I don't even need to see that anymore. I've seen the movie. And and boy, they're engaging, too. You want to – they really make you want to go see the movie. Right. And then there are like five different versions of that trailer. So you can really kind of piece together the whole movie. Terry loves a good trailer. I know. He loves to watch it many, many times. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, so we're going to be talking to Rod Gustafson about that. Of course, we'll speak with Spencer and Jerem, if it is Spencer and Jerem, from BYU Sports Nation. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great show. It always is. And we like to do that as a gift for you all, uh, just a way to, to get ready for your weekend. And that's it for me as we turn it over to Screen Cleaning. We'll, we'll be back Monday and make it all good again. Have a great weekend. And until then, take care of each other. Are you going to be doing this show long, Jeff? As long as it takes, Cole. I'm going to show families around the world their Friday and Saturday nights don't belong to the morally corrupt. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of thinking there's no good entertainment out there. And I can't do that as Jeff Simpson. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored, I can be fired, but if I do a show, I can make a difference. I can be everlasting needs a name. How about screen cleaning? Hmm, sounds good. Screen cleaning, that's what we're here to do. We're here to make a difference. We're here to get you your Friday and Saturday nights back to give you some options on what you can watch together. And uh, also just to show you, there's not just entertainment that's full of morally corrupt people behind it. No, There's good entertainment out there for the whole family to enjoy. We're here every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. 
And uh, like I said, yeah, we're here to help you find help your family find quality entertainment to enjoy together. Each week we interview people in the biz, we bring you exclusive trailers and commercials, and we bring you the very best in entertainment news. And speaking of entertainment news, here are our picks for the best entertainment news from the past week. Let's start off with Netflix. Netflix, Cole, do you use Netflix at all? Once or twice. Yeah, you know. okay. Um, there's a movie that's coming out on Netflix that you don't have to go to the red box for anymore. It's a little film called Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. It was actually pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised. I was worried that it wasn't going to be very good, but uh, you should definitely check it out. You... I think that with Netflix, I can now fast forward to the half hour to go mark and just watch my favorite spot of the film over and over again without <sighs> having to sit through the boring planet hopping. The last title half card. hour is what you're saying. Yes. So you think the movie overall was boring? No, 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 no. Because okay. it left a great taste in my mouth because the last half hour was great. All right. All the right. The first three quarters of it was You probably boring. want to go back and watch uh, episode four either right before or right after. Absolutely. Yes. Because it's kind of like Star Wars episode uh, 3.2. Nine. Mm-hmm. Tease yeah. it up right for you. Yeah. Uh, in our uh, trailer news, best trailer news, there's this guy that's putting out all these 8-bit trailers, and he's done it again. He put out a trailer for Thor Ragnarok, but uh, here's just a little bit of the music from that trailer. Oh, this reminds me of video games. And... Uh, Yes, makes the trailer look even more entertaining as an 8-bit video game. I think everything would. Oh, yeah. And you can go check it out. Just just Google 8-bit movie trailers, and he's got a whole bunch of them. They're not all just Marvel, but uh, this one is, and it's a good one. Cole and I, in keeping with our superhero theme that we have going on the show today, uh, we wanted to put together our own superhero and supervillain all-star teams. To play baseball, actually, and uh, I'm going to let you start with the supervillains. But uh, why don't you give us? Why don't you cue up some baseball music for us? So, who's on your supervillain team? All right. So, on the mound for me, I will have Bullseye, the supervillain of Daredevil. He did make an appearance in the less than great 2003 Daredevil okay. movie. Um, he's yet to show up in the Netflix series, though, and, and mm. considering he's one of Daredevil's, I think, best villains throughout the course of the comic books, I'm waiting for that. Okay. Um, Bullseye, the name implies he's really accurate, and so he'll be able to throw that ball just where it needs to be, in the strike zone or just outside. Okay. I think he's a pretty good pitcher. Um, and then... Also on my team, I will have Sportsmaster, who is a DC villain that, fun fact, in the 1970s did compile a baseball game between the heroes and the villains of the time. It was a, It's a pretty interesting read if you have 1970s comic books lying around like I did whenever I was growing up. And then, in honor of Spider-Man Homecoming, which has just come out, I, I had to take one of Spider-Man's rogues, and I chose Venom. Ooh, that's a good team. Hmm. I think so. It's pretty good. I don't know if it can beat my team. I should preface uh, my list by saying one of the great things about baseball, and, you know, 
to me, it is still America's pastime. I know it kind of gets a lot of flack these days. People think it's boring. That's why you're not a millennial, Jeff. Um, but I still think it's America's uh, great pastime. And one of the greatest things about it, which is kind of being taken out of the game uh, as time goes by, is the human element. Because you know now they can they can check out they get a certain number of instant repl- or, uh, replays so that they can check the call, but uh, it's still one of the more human element driven games in my opinion, and so that's actually something that I enjoy in my uh, superheroes. Each one of these superheroes is vulnerable, mm-hmm. does not have any, like, weird power where they, you know, were mutated or they, you know, fell into a pile of chemicals. They're just regular people doing extraordinary things, and they're deeply flawed, all three mm-hmm. of them. So I've got to start out with my favorite superhero of all time, which is Batman. And I'm going to put him as my utility player because he's got that utility belt that he wears, right? But Yes, excellent. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that kind of pretends to be – he's kind of a reluctant playboy or at least in the Christopher Nolan version. Mm -hmm. He he has to pretend like he's this this bad boy, but he's really – he cares deeply and uh, has questionable methods for bringing about justice. Uh, My pitcher – Another very deeply flawed person, but he knows it, and he isn't trying to pretend to be something he's not. And it's Iron Man, who would uh, – he's got great aim with those little blasts that he shoots out of his suit. And, uh, yeah, just a pro from the beginning. Put on that suit, knew immediately how to use it. Yeah. And then for my manager, this one's going to be lesser known. Okay. His name is Mr. Furious. Do you know who Mr. Furious is? I do, but educate the people, All right. So Mr. Furious is a character, a comic book character, actually, uh, from a lesser-known comic. And the movie that he comes from is Mystery Men, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Part of 1999, the greatest year for movies, in my opinion. One of the many movies to feature (laughs) All-Star from Smash Mouth. Uh, I think every movie that year actually oh, you did pretty have much. All-Star. Yeah, it. yeah. And I put him as the manager because he is just always – or he he's somebody also that pretends to be something that he's not. And he his powers are that he's really furious. And what I love about him is he's an underdog and you always want to root for the underdog in sports, right? Do you? Because oh, yeah. my manager is none other than Lex Luthor, who is pretty much the manager. I mean, the Yankees are the ultimate villain in sports in general because they have all the money and they're be able, they're able to do all that. And because they have all that money, they win, Jeff. And so Lex Luthor is going to take his scientific know-how and his money and compile a great team that can just tear apart your heroes team. Well, if you go watch Mystery Men, you'll see how it all ends. <laughs> um, and you really should go see Mystery Men. As far as uh, you know, superhero movies go, it's pretty tame. The violence isn't that extreme, and it's pretty clean. Not a lot of language. It's got Kel Mitchell, if you were missing that from the That's 90s. That's right. He plays Invisible Boy, who is only invisible when absolutely no one is watching. Right. There's also the bowler, played by Janine Garofalo, who has her father's skull inside of a bowling ball. It's got uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens. I won't say what his uh, 
what his powers are. You'll well, have to go Macy see the movie. is there as well. He's got a shovel, and so he is the shoveler. <laughs> yes. He shovels well. He shovels very well. Oh, yes. Uh, which is what he tells his wife. And then there's the real superhero hero in the movie, which is played by Greg Kinnear. He's Captain Amazing, who has... Uh, Patches of sponsors plastered all over his uh, uniform, and he goes out of commission. He is actually captured by the supervillain Casanova Frankenstein, and mm-hmm. so it is up to this ragtag team of wannabe superheroes, the Mystery Men, uh, to save him. And uh, it doesn't end the way you think it might. That's all I'm going to say. Go see it. So funny. Mystery Men rated PG-13. We're going to take a break. When we come back... Have you ever wondered what it's like to walk the floor at Comic-Con? Well, when we return, we'll give you a chance to spend a few minutes in my shoes as I mingle with the heroes and villains at Salt Lake Comic-Con. We'll be right back. Billy, where's Goldie? I put him in the lake. What could go wrong? Descending Fisher. It's at least 200 feet, Novak. (laughs) Sam? Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there? (laughs) It's like this body's been in the water for weeks. I want to know what this thing is doing in my lake. Goldfish hunt and packs. The first bite draws blood. Blood. Draws the pack. This Christmas, little Goldie's out of his bag. Now he's out for revenge. Goldie, this ends now. Goldie, the goldfish the size of a football. You know, back when I was just starting out on Dr. Matt's show, I had the opportunity to attend Comic-Con in Salt Lake City. Have you ever been, Cole? I have not, but it's on the bucket list. It is quite an experience, to say the least. I wanted to have some fun with the elaborately dressed fans at the big event, so I put together a quiz to see how dedicated these fans were, and this is from Salt Lake Comic-Con 2016. I'm standing here in the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City for Salt Lake Comic-Con. Uh, otherwise known as Halloween. There are lots of people here dressed in all sorts of outrageous outfits. They've got bags and they're going around collecting candy. As you know, we at the Matt Townsend Show are all about answering the important questions in life. So we thought, who better to ask than superheroes and supervillains at Comic-Con? So I got a couple of quiz questions here for you guys. This is name your superhero slash name your supervillain. I'm going to name either their alias or their actual name. You tell me one or the other, okay? We'll start with a kind of a softball. Who is Scott Lang? Cyclops. No, no, no. Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Ding, 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 ding. Here's another one. Who is Black Widow? Natasha Romanoff. We also would have accepted Hillary Clinton for Black Widow. I'm looking at a very interesting piece right now. Um, it's from Peanuts, you know, Charles Schultz. 
and uh, I don't think I don't think Lucy should be taking a bite out of Linus's arm like that. They're zombified, and uh, I'm just gonna walk over here now. Uh, one more question: Is the war on drugs succeeding? What? Harry Potter, I want to ask you this question. If you could elect any superhero to the presidency, who would it be and why? You know what? I'll say I'll say Warshak because he knows when the end is apparently. Although he is very insane. Man, I think you're really gonna wish that you were here. There is Deadpool paraphernalia everywhere. I just passed a Deadpool truffle. There's a Deadpool license plate. I could go on. I, it's like Bubba from Forrest Gump. Deadpool hamburgers. Deadpool keychains, Deadpool oven mitts. Okay, what is Magneto's actual name? Eric? Eric? That's close enough. It's actually Max Eisenhardt. Who is your favorite superhero and why? Probably Magneto. But you didn't know his name. I know. <laughs> you thought it was Eric. Okay. Should judges exclude prospective jurors after questioning them and determining they do not favor the law which the prosecution seeks to enforce? What was the question one more time? Deadpool breath mints. Deadpool coasters. Deadpool baby strollers. How did you feel when they killed off Harrison Ford in this last movie? I haven't seen the newest Star Wars movie yet. Oh, oh darn it. <laughs> um, you didn't hear that from me, okay? Should someone who has sworn an oath to protect the Constitution, but who then votes to allocate tax funds to programs or departments not authorized by that Constitution, should that person be punished? If not, why? They should not be punished because certain... So well, it depends. Are these social programs or defense programs? It's okay to defend the Constitution, which also defends your right to allocate money to social programs that support citizens that are also defended by that Constitution. Deadpool kosher meals. Okay, Matt, I'm so excited. I finally found a Batman. There have been a ton of Harley Quinns and a ton of Jokers, but uh, no Batmans until this one. So I'm standing here with Batman, and he has agreed to... Uh, voice a little promo for us for the Matt Townsend show in his Batman bear voice. Welcome to the Matt Townsend show. Will we help you to live longer and love stronger? Each year, movie studios produce hundreds of films, and a large number of these films are met with scathing reviews and pathetic ticket sales. And a select few of these quote-unquote bad films go on to be considered some of the worst movies ever made. Well, since our slogan here at BYU Radio is talk about good, we thought we'd play a little game that helps us focus on the positive aspects of these bad movies. And uh, we want to welcome back to the program the co-host of the podcast Bacon Sale and our good friend and improv comic Joel Hilton. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be on a positive show. <laughs> yes. And uh, you're going to have to be positive for this next segment because uh, yes. here's how it's going to work. We're going to play a little yeah. game that I like to call Silver Lining Cinema. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Ooh. Yes, and here's how it's going to work. I have a spinning wheel that contains the names of several quote-unquote bad movies, and I'm going to spin the wheel, and we'll have to watch whichever film we land on and give it a positive review. So let me give you today's category of the uh, Silver Lining Cinema game. Today's category is Films Featuring Academy Award Winners. So how, mm. how bad could they be, right? It can't be that bad, right? Okay, so Joel, are you ready to play Silver Lining Cinema? I am ready, Jeff. Okay, so here is the spin... And let's see what it lands on. This is going to be for you, by the way. Very mm-hmm. fitting that this is a squeaky wheel because these are movies that nobody watches. Mm-hmm. Um, the film that you have to watch is Tentacles. Lovely. <laughs> I bet you're so excited. All right. Let me give it one more spin. And this is the film that I'm going to watch. And come on. Don't be son of the mask. Not son of the mask. And it looks like I'll be watching Daddy Day Camp. Okay, so let's take a quick break. We'll watch those movies, and when we come back, we will give a positive review of them. And we're back. So we're going to start with you. Give us your positive review of Tentacles. So Tentacles, 1977, which was two years after Jaws, is about a mutated giant octopus that wreaks havoc on a California seaside community. And, um, well, this movie lets everyone have a line. It doesn't matter if they're a good actor. It doesn't matter if they can speak English. They let everybody talk. And it doesn't matter. At the same time, they don't really rely on talking. I mean, they let long moments of silence just happen. And we're talking five, ten, fifteen-minute stretches with no dialogue whatsoever. Um, They also trust their viewers to know what's going on. They don't necessarily show you what's happening. You have to guess about a lot of it. And this movie doesn't bog you down with things like memorable characters or characters that you like. So when one of them dies, it doesn't hurt as much. And finally, I think maybe the most uh, wonderful thing about this is the uh, five-note harpsichord theme that they have for the octopus is much more jarring than the two-note tuba number from Jaws. Pins and needles, Joel. Yes, this movie has a lot to offer. Uh, they also don't show the octopus, just like Jaws didn't show the shark. It's it's a good thing because it, it builds, quote-unquote, suspense. Wow. You know, it's so easy to point out the bad in things that, you know, it, it takes so much more patience. And, uh, you know, it says a lot about you that you can find the positive in a movie like Tentacles. So thank you. I, you're welcome. I, I do what I can to bring light to the world. So I want to tell you about a little film called Daddy Day Camp. Now, first off, I never saw Daddy Daycare, but I saw the previews. And, you know, Eddie Murphy, he has his moments. And I'm, a lot of people think he's so great and all that. But when I saw the preview, I thought, you know, the one thing that this film is missing is an Academy Award winner. Mm. So it's about this guy that loses his job 
And so he and his friend are forced to open up a daddy daycare. Well, in the sequel, they signed up Cuba Gooding Jr. to star in the sequel, Daddy mm. Day Camp. Eddie Murphy doesn't have an Oscar. Cuba Gooding Jr. That's true. One Oscar. Okay. Jerry Maguire. Yes. So he and his friend decide to save a camp that they went to as kids that is going under, and they want their kids to go and have a positive experience. So what I love about this movie is that there are so many important life lessons to be learned. There's a scene where the kids in the car, some kids in a car are singing 99 bottles of non-alcoholic beer on the wall. So right off the bat, you know, let's not advocate the drinking of alcohol, uh, you know, among children. I love that. They talk about cooties. Cooties, it's it's a very real thing. And on the playground, it, it's rampant with cooties. You need to watch yes. out for that. Your kids are not safe, especially these days. It tells you about the dangers of going into a bathroom with methane. Don't mm. do it. There are explosive results. And uh, there was also one scene, and I think anybody that watches this movie will never, ever forget this scene. There's a shot of a fish tank, and it is the cleanest fish tank I have ever seen in a movie or in real life. And I really appreciate that. It shows that they care about uh, fish. They care about Mm -hmm. cleanliness. And it sets a really good example for these kids. And I love that this movie is all about being inclusive. And what I mean by that is there are so many toilet and crude gags in this movie, they don't want to leave any of them out. They want to make sure that they include every single one of them, almost like they had a checkbox going down the list, because who wants to be left out? I know, right? So you've got a skunk, you've got a toilet explosion, you've got bathroom, vomit, a belching contest, undergarment references and mishaps, pies and paintballs in the face. They didn't leave anything out. And I really appreciated that because we're all about being inclusive. And, you know, in closing, I would love to say that this film, it's refreshing because you don't see too many films this day or TV shows where men are portrayed as bumbling, incapable idiots. And so it was just nice. It was a nice change of pace to see that they're finally taking a jab at at husbands and fathers. So check out Daddy Day Camp. And check out Tentacles. Well, I think we've done our duty and we found the good in those movies that you probably would not even give a second look at or even ever say in a sentence ever again. So, Joel, I hope you had a good time here on screen cleaning. And, you know, we need your insight. We need somebody like you that can give us the positive in what everybody else is telling us is negative and bad and horrible. You're a humanitarian, Joel, is what I'm really trying to say. I do what I can. (laughs) All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning. We'll be right back. Have you ever seen a movie trailer that showed a little too much and thought, well, now I don't even need to see the movie? Well, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews is here to talk to us about how movie trailers may be ruining these movies that we so dearly want to see and, you know, that we spend our hard-earned cash on. And, uh, Rod, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Hey, hello, Jeff. I'm hoping to talk to you a little bit about just why they're putting so much content in these trailers. And, you know, we read this article about directors that are complaining about 
how these studios are are ruining their movies because they're putting spoilers in these trailers. And uh, how how much creative control do you think these directors have when it comes to the content in their trailers? Very, very little. You know, this is something that I think we're going to see coming on the radar more and more because the the DGA, the Directors Directors Guild of America, is uh, the organization that is often uh, advocating for increased rights of uh, creative rights for directors over their products. And the trailers have never really been on the table. There are a couple of directors who have managed to exercise some control over this by saying, look, if you want me to make the movie, uh, I get to determine what goes into the trailer. But for the most part, uh, this is happens far and away from the creative aspects of the movie, um, which is why often you'll even see in trailers, you'll see little snippets and scenes in a trailer that weren't even in the movie. And, right. Uh, in fact, it, Terry it, was just saying on Matt's show today that they're creating scenes that they are purposely not going to put in the movie. Mm-hmm. So you have to watch yeah. the trailer to see it. Yeah, the other thing that really bugs me, too, is the dependence on popular music in the trailers. And then those songs rarely are actually in the movie. They only license them for the trailer. Like, I mean, if I hear uh, Spirit in the Sky or Taking Care of Business in one more movie trailer, I'm going to, <laughs> that's it. I've had it. But, you know, that's the other thing that, that there's a I mean, this is really all about marketing. When you think about it, Jeff, wouldn't you love to create an advertising model that people will line up to see? And that's what movie trailers are. They're advertisements. They're done by the marketing department. And they're they're really completely removed, for the most part, from the creative people who have put the movie together. So I wonder if uh, moviegoers are complaining because clearly it doesn't seem to affect the ticket sales because people watch all the trailers, then they buy the tickets to go see these movies. So may is it just... Wonder if it's just people in Hollywood that are criticizing the trailers or if or if fans are upset too. You know, that one's a tough one. I I haven't really seen too much of a correlation between um a known commodity. So now let me explain. So a known commodity, for instance, Spider-Man, okay? I don't think a good trailer or a bad trailer is really going to affect the outcome of Spider-Man. But there certainly have been movies in the past that I think have been injured by their trailers. Um, Movies where, you know, people really don't know what this movie is about. And I think that maybe they would have done better had they had a better trailer. But often... I find a poor trailer also comes with poor advertising and other promotions as well. It almost, there are certain movies that come down the pipe that you feel like the studio said, nah, we're not going to invest in this one. We'll just stick it on a few screens and get this done and get it off to home video. Yeah. And so I find it usually falls into that category. Now, I wonder if there's an impact of studios showing too little in movie trailers because there's the example that that came out recently of David Lynch not wanting anybody to know anything Mm -hmm. about his series Twin Peaks before it debuted. And, you know, he went as far as to not even letting uh, the bulk of his cast seeing the the script in its entirety. He would just show them little snippets, the scenes that they were in, just enough so that they could get through the scene. But uh, he didn't want anybody to have the surprise spoiled for them. And here we are talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that uh, 
uh, these days, the problem really is they're showing too much in trailers, in my opinion. Uh, but these days, having somebody show too little usually creates a lot of buzz and a lot of anticipation on the Internet. And uh, and so, you know, I think maybe some we may see more of a push in that direction where and again this really depends on like a guy like david lynch having control of his trailers uh, you know it depends on those that small handful of directors that have managed to negotiate that so you know for me i think the too little thing really results in anticipation and increased buzz because then people just start speculating all over the place you go onto reddit or facebook or anything else and there's just wild speculation uh, and that, I think, increases the buzz. Yeah. And, you know, just like you said, the trailers have not always been this way. You know, a teaser trailer used to only be 30 seconds or a minute, and now it's close to three minutes. But I, to be honest, I would prefer trailers the way they are now and just maybe show a little restraint and not watch every single one that comes out. Much more than to watch the trailers that they used to put out, like you were talking about, just really heavy on on uh, voiceover and not really showing good scenes from the, the – oh, I, I see a lot of really horrible trailers back from the 70s and 80s. They did not know mm-hmm. how to make a good movie trailer back then. No, they really didn't. And now it seems like once we ditched the voiceover, now we're much more dependent on using snippets from the film, dialogue from the film. And I find that often uh, either that doesn't glue together very well. And so you have a bit of a, a bit of a mishmash as far as, well, what is this movie about? Or they wind up revealing key plot points that probably would have been better left unseen. So, you know, Jeff, I must admit, I'm probably the wrong guy to talk to about this because I rarely watch a trailer before I see the movie. <laughs> I really like going in cold and going in blind and, 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 and not having really too much of an idea. And I'm fortunate because as a film reviewer, we rarely get trailers in front of our movies when they're screened to us. Uh, whereas, of course, if you're going to a regular film, you're going to sit through 10 minutes of trailers. And so you're going to see them. But for me, I, I, I see very few of them before I see the movie. Yeah. And, you know, one one aspect of this discussion that we haven't talked about yet is misleading trailers. Um, you know, I, when I was thinking about examples of this, one that came to mind right away was, uh, Suicide Squad, which had Mm -hmm. a great ad campaign, looked like it was going to be so much fun, you know, and again, they put in a lot of music. Who's not going to see a movie that features the song Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, right? Mm -hmm. That's a song that really gets people into the movie theater. Um, but then I, I went to go see it and, uh, not as good as the movie trailer. Um, yeah. Not the good time that the, the trailer led me to believe that I was going to have. And just another couple of, of, of examples. Uh, a lot of people complained about the trailer for the film Sweeney Todd, which is a yeah. musical. But you watch the trailer and you would never guess that it was a musical because they've stripped it all out. They make it just look like a, a revenge movie, you know, without yeah. the music. Yeah, that was a very curious choice. You know, for me, the ones I find that are the most misleading are ones that are often serious stories, but they're concerned that they can't sell a serious story, especially to a family audience. I mean, a classic one, Bridge to Terabithia. You know, I remember I did watch the trailer before that film, and I'm a huge spoiler alert coming along here if you haven't seen the movie, but 
that is one serious movie. Our our main one of our main characters actually dies, and you know this is involving young adolescent children. And I mean, it's a beautiful movie. I really enjoyed it, but the trailer just totally misrepresented it. And then there's the advocacy movies. I find often they hide advocacy, and one that actually made me angry was this love story, Me Before You, which is a huge advocacy piece for doctor-assisted suicide, which personally I strongly disagree with. And especially in this movie, it's about this 40-something rich guy who just whines and complains because his life is so miserable because he's paralyzed. The trailer makes it look like a lovely little love story, but then you watch the movie and you think, oh my goodness, what's going on here? So I find they often try and bury important aspects of movies that they think, well, this isn't going to sell, so we better, we better make it look like yeah. something else. Well, Rod, much like you, I some of the best movie-going experiences I've had have been when I've gone in blind, not knowing anything about the movie or not seeing the trailer for it. And when we come back, I want to take a break. When we come back, you and I are going to share some of those pleasant surprise experiences with movies. We're each going to share three of our picks for pleasant surprises. When we return, this is Screen Clean. Stick with us. One of the best experiences that I have watching movies is discovering some hidden gem or some movie that I knew nothing about that just knocked me off my feet. And Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews is here to talk to us. Uh, we're going to share, we're each going to share a list of three films that were pleasant surprises for us. Now, these are films that either uh, we went in blind, meaning we didn't know anything about the movie or we haven't seen the trailer, or perhaps we enjoyed in spite of the trailer. So, Rod, we're going to have about eight minutes to do this, and I'm going to let you go first with your number three pick. I promise to go faster this time. Okay, <laughs> number three pick. Okay, number three pick's a bit of a subtle one, and uh, I'm sure it won't be on your list. A couple of months ago, we had this crazy little kids movie called Monster Trucks. And I have an appreciation for movies that are made for that little range of about seven-year-olds to 11-year-olds. We don't get many of those. Monster Trucks looked like such a stupid movie in the trailer. And yet it actually is a surprisingly good little film that's a great story for that small segment age group. So there was one for me that I thought the trailer really didn't do it justice as far as um, what the movie actually contained. I am shocked to hear you say that because all the trailers that I side just groaned through the entire trailer. Oh, but that's good to know because I actually feel like this has been a really weak year for uh, kids' movies. So yes, that's good to know. Absolutely. So maybe when my daughters are, are a little older, I'll show them that one. Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time choosing number three, but I'm going to go with this one. Uh, this is one that we enjoyed in spite of the trailer. Every time we saw this trailer, we just moaned and groaned. It looked like it was going to be crude and that our kids would repeat all the crude things that were said during the trailer. But this one is my number three pick, and it's Trolls. Now, oh, yes. Yeah, Trolls was so much fun due to such a wonderful energetic soundtrack put together by Justin Timberlake, who also voices one of the main characters. And as you know, these trolls are trying to avoid being eaten by these Bergens who, who believe that their only path to happiness is to eat these trolls who are so full of happiness. It's just a funny, energetic, 
happy movie. And I, I loved it in spite of the trailer. And the soundtrack really oh, is yeah. fun. I mean, the moment you say that, that song's in my head. <laughs> it absolutely is. Okay, so what's right. your number two? Number two for me was one that we had last Christmas that I thought really was not promoted well. And it was called Collateral Beauty. This is the Will Smith movie. Oh, did you right. have a chance to see that? No, I never did. No. You know, a, an amazing story that is, it's one of those serious movies that in the trailer you could tell, like, this is a trailer that needed a voiceover guy, because that would have been the better way to do it. Because when you just try and take snippets of dialogue and glue it together, it just looks like a mess. It looks boring. It looks dumb. But it's actually a really deep and powerful movie with a wonderful twist in it that I really enjoyed. So Collateral Beauty, that was one for me, a pleasant surprise. Okay. This is one I went in completely blind. I was visiting Utah, had somebody drop me off at a movie theater. I didn't have anybody picking me up for a while, so I saw a double feature. One of the films I did not enjoy, which was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But this mm-hmm. one I did enjoy, knew nothing about it, and it's my favorite – well, it, it's the Michael Bay movie that I think that I like. <laughs> and uh, it's a film called The Island. Have ah. you ever seen The Island? No, I have never seen The Island. So, I, I don't really go chasing after Michael Bay movies. Right. Now you've got me curious. Well, I won't spoil too much of it. And again, I, I'm not saying that this is the greatest movie ever made and it you know follows in the same – it's the same vein as a lot of the other Michael Bay movies with a lot of explosions and chases. But it stars Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. They are these two people in this that, – that live at this interesting facility that uh, – you know, you're you can only have a certain number of calories. You can't fraternize with members of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you win this lottery, then you get to go to the island. And about 40 minutes into it, maybe 30 minutes into it, Ewan McGregor discovers what the island really is. And it's not what you would expect or hope. So. Really good. Ah. Edge of your seat. Anytime this movie is on TV, I will sit down and watch it. It was just so enjoyable, as I said, even though it's not the greatest movie ever made. But that's my number two. So, so what year did that come out? Any idea? Oh, like, that's it was. Oh, it was probably. It was before I was married. So 2007, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to dig that one up. Okay. Well, drum roll. Number one <laughs> in my yes in my pleasant surprise list that has become a Gustafson family favorite and actually has got quite a large cult following. And I thought this would be just a dud of a movie going back almost two decades ago. Galaxy Quest. Oh, I, I love, love that Galaxy movie. Quest. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I remember watching the trailer and the promotions when that film was gearing up to come out, and it just looked like one of those films that we're just going to dump it here and, and hope it goes away. I, you know, if you have, if you don't absolutely love Star Trek and Star Wars, but you just kind of have that kind of funny relationship where you can laugh at it, but you still like it and you hate to admit you like it. Galaxy Quest will just ring all your bells because I just think it's one of the most creative spoof movies ever done. It's just so much fun. I recently, and I'm talking months ago, had to twist my mother-in-law's arm to sit down and watch this film. And afterwards, she was so grateful she did because she had a great time. Such a good movie. 
That was Galaxy Quest? Okay, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it just really, you know, what's funny about this film, Jeff, is we've shown it to some people and they laugh their heads off. And then we show it to other people. And if you're not part of that, we find if, you, if you've never watched Star Trek, you won't get it. And if you're one of those people that goes to the Star Trek conventions, you may all, even be to the point of being a little bit offended by it. But if you're in the <laughs> middle, you get it. <laughs> all right. So here's my number one. Again, this is another one that I went in blind, didn't really know anything about it. But after I watched it, I thought this is as close to a perfect film as you can get, in my opinion. And uh, it's a film that's I think it was released in the 70s called The Day of the Jackal. Oh, okay. Have yes, you seen that, course. Rod? I saw that so long ago, I can hardly remember it. <laughs> I want to say Dustin Hoffman, but is it, I'm wrong, aren't I? No, it's, you know, it's, I don't really know any of the actors. And that's, I mean, that can be, that can be the making ah, of a really good film. Edward, people that don't have big Ed, names, you know? Yeah, Edward Fox, Terrence Alexander. Yeah, you're right. Yes. I, I don't remember either of those guys. See this film. It You know, a lot of the problems with these films uh, and TV shows, too, about, you know, CSI and all these police forces is that they they tend to have young, attractive people, when in reality, those are not the people that would be on these tasks, task force. You know, it's usually mm -hmm. middle-aged men who are graying or maybe they're overweight, but that's what I see. And another good example of that is the cast in The Fugitive. You know, those are the types mm -hmm. of people that would actually have these jobs. And uh, it's just a really taut, tight thriller. Uh, I would go, I would recommend it. And I don't believe there's too much in the way of uh, bad content. Uh, I don't, hmm... I don't know. Well, I don't you want know, to. <laughs> it gets the old PG rating. And, yes, and so with yeah. the old PG rating, you got to be, you know, you got to be a little bit careful because of, they often had uh, more um, sexual content. So, for instance, in the Day of the Jackal, yeah, okay, so I'm cheating. But there is a, there's a little scene <laughs> of nudity where a woman gets out of bed, and it was quite common to see female nudity in those movies in a non-sexual context. So, yeah, so you'd have to look out for that. What I did like about this era, though, is they could make action movies that were built on tension from really good writing rather than depending on special effects and a lot of violence. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, you've got me curious on this one. This is one I'd like to have a look at. Yeah. Well, Rod, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. We had a great time talking about how movie trailers are spoiling movies for us and uh, and also just, you know, if you want to have a good, pleasant surprise experience when you watch a movie, just go in blind. Go yes. in not knowing anything about it and forget the trailer. Rod, Absolutely. We'll, talk, <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks again, Rod. Thank we're, you, Jeff. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. It's the finer things in life that really make life worth with living. And uh, right now we are going to talk to two of the finer things, Spencer and Jason at BYU Sports Nation. Gentlemen, how are you? Oh, we are fantastic, my good man. Classical. <laughs> really? You're doing well? well I don't know why I'm surprised by that. It's a Friday. Yes. BYU basketball won on a Thursday night. Woohoo! We've got NFL playoffs over this weekend. We're ready to roll, man. Plus... 
I know you guys are, are going to be talking about this on your show and uh, partaking in this uh, with your families. Paddington 2. I need to see Paddington 1. What? You liked Paddington. I hope he doesn't. No, I'm not even, I'm not going to give it up. I, there's somebody that we all know raved about Paddington, the original. That I would not have, I would not have anticipated. Really? Who's yeah. that? You don't, you don't want to tell us? No, nah, yeah, I don't know if he wants this out there. So I, I just say that it got because this one person told me that he was pleasantly surprised with the original Paddington. It, it piqued my interest. Not enough that I saw it, but it, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's legit. Okay, let me just give you some perspective. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes for the first one, Whoa. 100% for the second one. What? We're talking like 150 reviews. Uh, <laughs> that they hated it that bad? No, loved it. Oh, that loved it. 100% oh. positive reviews. Oh. Just saying. Wow. Just so, so what? what what other movies do you know because you are the movie guy? Yeah. What other movies have ever received 100%? It's really tough to do. You know the film Get Out, that had 100% until like a week the after the weekend one guy finally got in there and wrote a negative review. So it's at 99%. But yeah, we're talking, talking about get hundreds. out the one where the 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 boyfriend goes to the with the the girlfriend of the family. And yes. All, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So check it out. We're going on Monday. Oh, you probably are working Monday, right? You guys both have to work Monday. Of course. Uh, I do not. Wait, what's Monday? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Oh yeah, yeah, we're working. <laughs> all right. Well, so there was a big win last night. What else is coming up on your show that you're going to be talking about in about six minutes? Uh, we have BYU basketball head coach emeritus Steve Cleveland on just how far the dynamic duo yes. of Elijah Bryant and Yoli Childs can take BYU basketball this season. Can two guys take them back to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, there will be a lot of dynamic duo talk. There will be Batman and Robin references, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But we're also holy great show, Batman. We're also going to revisit uh, a new a new feature uh, that we have on this program. It's it's uh, it's the and one. It's basically basketball prognosticating, and then afterwards we pat ourselves on the back on how good we did. Yep. Really? Well, you know what prop bets are, right? Um. Yes, I'm going to sound like I do. Okay. So for like example. <laughs> During Super Bowl week in Las Vegas, they will they will release this line of things that you can place money on. Hashtag betting is wrong. Um, <laughs> like uh, the first points of the Super Bowl scored will be a field goal by New England. Yes, yes. Okay? And so you can like there's odds for all that. We have a BYU approved prop bet <laughs> called the And One segment. So we project things like. Okay, BYU will score 72 points or more. Or uh, yes. Yoli Childs will have 11 rebounds or more. You know, just and we we base it off of like their averages, we either go one above or one below. And so it just creates context for like a blowout last night. BYU won by 20, but Jeremy and I were like watching so closely to the end because I said BYU's going to win by 17 plus and it was like 16 point lead, 18 point lead, 16 point lead. And he thought that BYU would hold Pepperdine to 65 points with us. They scored 63. So we were watching until the very end to give context to some of these blowout games. Oh, I I used that same strategy for the Golden Globes the other night. But no, the whole thing was just really bland. I thought maybe it would get better, and it really didn't. 
at least the prompter didn't go out for the uh, host on like Jimmy Fallon had to deal with a few years ago. Oh, that's right. Forgot all about that. Good grief. Yeah. Anyway, that's all coming up on the show. It's a, it's a great Friday show. We have fun on Fridays. It's what we do. Well, good luck to you. It sounds like a fantastic show. Break a leg and uh, go see Paddington, too. All, all good. We'll do it. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you guys later. As you know, we like to end each show on a positive note, although the whole show is really positive. But uh, we like to focus on performers, movies, uh, events that are that are positive that you that you may need to look a little harder for. This one you don't need to look as hard for. But this is our panning for good segment for today. There's good in them there hills. We've actually already mentioned this one, and if you haven't seen the 2013 film Paddington, you need to check it out because it is just such a delightful, whimsical, family-friendly movie that you can all enjoy together. And Paddington 2 comes out this weekend. I'm going on Monday with my family during the holiday. And uh, again, any time that I can get my hands on something that is family-friendly, that is... But not just family-friendly and clean, but that's something that is good. And if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is it's just unfathomable. It's so difficult for a movie to, to pull that off, let alone a kid's movie, right? So many kids' movies just like to put them on the conveyor belt and crank them out. But this one looks good. Go check it out. And we do hope you have a fantastic uh, holiday weekend and figure out some way that you can honor Dr. King. On Martin Luther King Jr. Day, BYU Sports Nation is up next.